0: Are back from the the Super Bowl that is Super Bowl weekend for us. The purge. It is our right to purge in Portland. We purged a lot. Then we. What did we purge? We purged our souls of of, of, of bad gaming experiences. We had a lot of fun. Oh, we had a great time. And, 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 and welcome to the CU podcast. Oh, by the well, yes. Way. Hello. Hi. We're here for Tuesday, October
1: twenty third. <laughs> I did a lot of purging.
0: I did a lot of consuming of foods. Well, Lots. yes, we did that. Lots we, of delicious that, foods. That's Ian Ferguson. I'm here. I'm Pat Contry. Uh, we got a lot coming up to talk about. We'll be talking about uh, the Intellivision Amico, the Analog Mega SG. It, this all hit around Portland. It's like it's like this is our E3 around October. It yes. seems like that, right? It is. Uh, the Collector Vision Phoenix, FPGA, ColecoVision, Console, Kickstarter. <gasps> wow. Uh, At Games Blast controversy. Other stuff. And uh, and Q and A. So Ian, you know, we had the purge. Uh-huh. I'm just saying because it because it, USA has a purge show on right now. It's actually pretty good for purging. You know, I'm not into that whole series, but anyway, it's, it's all right to purge it once a year at Portland. But it makes it
1: sound like you're.
0: We're, we're not killing anyone yeah, or, but, or. I, mean,
1: I but... feel like this is a stretch. We're not killing people. I mean, I'm. I'm kill- I, it was a very good time though. <laughs> um, Vonnie and I went up on uh, Wednesday. Uh, we took a couple extra days just to try to kind of unwind. Uh, we just kind of slept and relaxed and had dinner. Thursday, people started to come up, hung out with Norm and Rue. Came up on Friday. You
0: set up. I you know you were selling some books. I sold uh, some some NES guidebooks. Yes, Friday we sold we sold the new Mom Man See podcast shirts. Yep, which, those were popular. Uh, we we sold it, we sold about half the ones we brought there, and we'll have a we'll have a Teespring campaign going for you maybe next week or so. If packets Office Button does it, but. It's, uh, it's, it's Ian. I'll put the image here so you guys get it. It's Ian as Aquaman and Pat as Cyborg recreating that famous scene from Justice League. Yes. Right ain't over yet. And that famous <laughs> moment on the CU
1: podcast. <laughs> um, so that was a good time. Uh, I, I had a panel, uh, and thanks to uh, Kinsey Burke for having me on that panel with her and Reggie. Um, that was a great panel about uh, uh, game collecting when you're broke. AF when you're broke as fuck that was a, a fun panel and then you and I had uh, what I would consider a very successful Cu podcast panel.
0: Yeah, it was about 100, 150 people there
1: uh, we filled the room I mean Pretty whatever full? the whatever the room the you know capacity is and then you had uh, your panels you did one for uh, not for resale
0: the documentary was like' producing that we're probably going to change the name at some point um, for that and that went over well We showed a few clips uh, from that and then Sunday was the good old. Uh, Pat Contry, Pat the NES Punk, play the Punk Challenge panel, which is now a tradition. It's like my eighth time doing it at PRGE, and that was a, a lot of fun as well. So, uh, in terms of, we always like to. It's like almost like the State of the Union address about when we come back from Portland about what's going on with the scene. What what are we seeing? What's the what's the vibe out there? I know Ian said last year he felt some some change happened when you said that like no one was buying Earthbound Super Nintendo cards. He said I saw a few and no one bought them um this year the theme to me was you saw things this is what i saw i saw from my own eyes uh and from people telling me i saw three entire collections being sold uh at the nintendo Age booth there was a, a a huge complete in box uh nes set not the not all of them were out there but there was hundreds of boxed nes games out there maybe yeah, you want to say 300 400 something in that range maybe a mm-hmm. little more and there were some ones that were like coveted that i saw that weren't gone right away there wasn't the, it wasn't the feeding frenzy that would happen you know early saturday so the biggest one that stood out to me that i saw i saw baseload 4 out there complete in box for $40 that's a rare game that is not an easy to find game and it was only $40 and that's what the cartridge cost for that game about uh, if i check a certain uh, app but it was still there in the afternoon. I was like, wow, I, I mean, if I was still in my craze of buying it, I probably should have bought that because that's probably worth at least double that or more. And, you know, like I said, you don't find it. I would have bought it if I didn't have the manual. Just to get the manual would be worth it. Um, but I saw that. So that was a collection being sold. Another vendor um, said in the slide, I mean, yeah, we're selling off, you know, a collection of someone. It was, just a, it was a variety of things. It wasn't just one thing. And then our, our pal, uh, Charles, who sells there every year, tall, tall glass of water, Mr Handheld uh, I bought I bought literally probably 60 handhelds off him in the past 8 years he's gotten some stuff off him um he's uh he's deciding he's going to you know settle down somewhere retire you know and he needs to downsize the collection and not just downsize he's getting rid of everything uh within the next few years so he's he, he he's getting rid of stuff you know he's a guy probably about you know about 50 mm-hmm. early 50s and he's not too old um very very nice guy and you know he's selling out his stuff and he has a ton of like Stuffed that APF MP one thousand. He has a bunch of handheld stuff which he's gotten rid of the past few years. I helped him do that. All the Tiger LCDs I bought, and I think I even got a couple of things throughout the years from him. And um, yeah, so that wasn't like everyone was getting rid of everything. But when you when you see that, it's like okay, there's a little little something going on here. And I jokingly said to, to our pal Chris Kohler because he was at Charles's a uh, uh, booth on friday i said uh-oh this is a foreboding chris chris like no pat it doesn't mean anything the guy's retiring it doesn't mean anything and and ian says to me there two later he's like well other people will be retiring <laughs> at some point and collections will be gone it's just about the timing of when that's going to happen when people decide to get out and you usually see this at portland uh guindian on nintendo age uh the last year he wasn't there this year but last two years he's a guy that had all the the really cool like NWC all the paperwork and prints, all stuff the, like that all the test cards all the hard to find stuff i got um a game action replay in the box from him last year so he already got rid of his stuff he already got out probably most of his stuff he, he got the documentation i think frank bought some some, some stuff from him the past couple of years so you know it's like i said it's not a total wave of this happening right now but it is happening as people get into their we'll just say their the golden the golden years of their you know They're collecting. The other thing, the only thing I'm going to comment on, I saw. By the way, MP1000. I saw multiple APF MP1000s. I just thought that was strange to see multiple of those. And yes, you're going to see the more esoteric stuff in portland but to see multiple of those for sale and no one wants those by the way no one buys those uh it's a hard to find system but no one cares about it and I, and I you know you see cool stuff. like a guy had all the ti uh, computer stuff you see that guy he like yeah. he liked the hard to find modem and stuff I'm like oh i like this stuff is really freaking cool there's no one interested in in buying it but it, it's cool to see that to have someone curate that you know so you see the cool experiences uh there at portland the other thing i wanted to say is that um i i saw i i personally Ian saw, Ian, i think he's going to talk about you saw some sega saturn stuff uh, uh, yes. Sell. Uh, I didn't see the Super Nintendo stuff selling. Um, yeah. I, I came back to a few vendors and looked at you know the uncommon and rare stuff in the case, and there was stuff like Earthbound, no one bought. Ventures of Batman and Robin, no one bought. You know like the you know like the sixty to one hundred and fifty dollars games, like they were just sitting there. I just didn't didn't see it move. I'm not, I'm not saying none of it didn't uh, you know none of it moved. Some of it did, but I was just seeing like chunks of that stuff. You know, you told me about, tell me about the Musha. Um, well, oh. So,
1: as far as... I'll get to the Okay. So, from what I saw, um, obviously, I saw some people getting rid of stuff. There was the people retiring. I don't know that that's as foreboding, maybe, as, as you will think. Well, I, it, was, it, I was saying that as a joke at the time. But. I'm sure. Um, yeah, I mean, we had... You know, Gwendian did the retiring last year. Um, Charles was retiring this year. Um, retiring the collection. I mean, <laughs> what would be... What would be more alarming is if everyone from every generation started to retire stuff. But we're seeing, and this is kind of what I'm seeing, I'm seeing lots of people, like you mentioned, the Saturn. I was seeing um, Saturn stuff move. I was seeing, uh, you know, that sort of generation. I was still seeing N64 stuff move, Saturn stuff move. It seemed like PlayStation stuff was moving and I think, Dreamcast. uh, Maybe not so much regular PlayStation. Regular PlayStation seemed to be a thing that people started collecting I don't know earlier than most systems like it didn't wait necessarily for its time if that makes sense yeah like people were collecting playstation is you know far back as when i first started working at luna so when people were getting into nintendo people were already collecting playstation because it has all those great rpgs and stuff so Mm -hmm. playstation kind of for whatever reason exists i think outside of that normal timeline of um you know, when systems become popular based on generation.
0: Yeah, but um, I would say it would probably be mainly the RPGs, but yeah, that's what people yeah. in the mid two thousands were starting to get and had right. value. Like Final Fantasy Seven had a, had value for a while. Like way before you would expect to be like, wow, like this isn't that old and people want it Yeah, this it went game. from an eight dollar game to a
1: sixty dollar game for like a year to two years, you know, and then dropped back down. Um but there were some things that I saw um sit around like Pat said. Um there was a Mousha there. I wish you told me about this, by the way. I, have I swear it her. was complete. Uh, maybe it was missing its manual, though, because it was uh, in the case for uh, 250 And on a Sunday um, at 250 maybe the price had been dropped at that point in hopes to move it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm misremembering it and it didn't have its manual but it definitely was 250 and 250 for a Musha Is cheap. ...on any given day is pretty damn cheap. And the yeah. fact that that didn't sell was was I've,
0: strange. If you told me, I would have, made, I would have tried like, a $200 offers to see if they would have bit, because I don't have it. Just for the hell of it. Um, you know, to get a deal.
1: You know, that's a strange one, because it's... I mean, I, I think it's a little overrated, but it is a good shooter. It's a damn good shooter. Um, I don't think it's the BLM doll. But... Uh, you know, shooters are popular almost always regardless of what, you know, system happens to be in vogue at the moment. Sure, And, um, you know, it's one of the top tier Genesis titles usually for collectors. So to not see that move made me made me raise an eyebrow. Uh, sure. That makes sense. And uh, bu- 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 what the fuck was I going to say about it? I, you know, I just dropped my one of my points. Anyways, so that was that was, you know, strange,
0: strange for me to see. Um, I saw. Um, I didn't see the the Sunday frenzy that I've seen in past years. Maybe just because the mood has changed with that. Where you know, it's like you you see the tables had like will slash the prices and. Do the giveaway stuff like that? Didn't see that happening this year. I'm not saying maybe the vendors didn't want to do that. I'm sure vendors made out like Bandit Still, oh, I, but, the but vendors
1: I-, I talked to all said they did very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the reason why there was my personal reason for thinking there wasn't as big of a frenzy on Sunday is because Was it Saturday was a frenzy. Saturday was insane, from what I could see. And honestly, walking around Sunday, there was nothing to be frenzied over. A lot of a lot of the vendors that would normally have stuff to sell, it didn't look like there was any need for them to slash prices or like, um, for instance, that uh, pink gorilla had like nothing left at their booth. They had a shitload of stuff on Saturday. Um, you know, I, I, saw a lot of vendors that normally have, you know, a lot of stuff at their booths had almost no stock on Sunday. So I'm, I, I can only assume hopefully that that means they did well. I do feel like personally. And I mean, I don't know if there's a good way to verify it, but I'd like to know. I, I feel like just looking around, it did seem like whatever they were buying, and it might not have been, you know, the retro stuff, the or, or NES, you know, probably certainly not the computer stuff, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But it did seem like I saw more people buying and more people walking around with stuff this year than I did last year. Last year definitely felt far more different. If I, if I look at the four
0: or five PRGs that I've done, mm-hmm. Last year felt the most different. So maybe the transition from last year, where now you said people are buying these these slightly newer systems from the '90s versus the '80s. Yeah, maybe maybe last build. year the hive mind didn't
1: know what the hell to do, but this year maybe maybe people have you know kind of transitioned more to you know something else. But it, I mean, but I, those are but those
0: are more limited markets. We're talking about Saturn collecting. You're talking about you know higher price points, less games to go around this could be sort of just oh this is the one place you can realize you can pick up those games you know like at least in person a lot of those like hard to find RPGs and, you and know it, what I'm saying if it brings people see a, see a snatcher out there I didn't see a snatcher
1: no and I did see a couple titles on the Saturn in like season, triplicate yeah yeah it is Um <laughs> I anyway. saw
0: like Four
1: copies of Shining in the Holy, Holy Ark, which is great, which means that that's probably being overpriced right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did see a lot of like the smaller Saturn titles okay. moving. Um, I mean, that's the shit that Bonnie lives for too. I, I love her dearly. Okay. She is she is like the number one Saturn collector of low 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 grade the, titles, the low rent ones. <laughs> yeah, she
0: loves them. I'll probably sell, end up selling my stuff to her then when, when, next year. Um, I saw maybe. Three vendors with graphic stuff. Mostly um, nothing extremely rare. Nothing extremely excitable. Um, you know, Middle of the road stuff. No magical chases this year like prior years. Nothing like no Hero Tonmas. No Super Air Zonks, which I need a Super Air Zonk. None of that. Um, there was a few people with imports. Um, there was obviously our pal Steve Lynn was selling stuff. Um, there was a, another importer I saw. Our buddy Carlson was not there this year. I know he's busy with school. Um and I the the weird thing about it, I I missed booths. I there was booths that, that I wanted to like say hi to that I just my mind was blank to I just didn't see certain booths. And I just, must have walked past them multiple times. It was well, weird. And
1: that's what that sorry that that reminded me. That's what I wanted to say when I was finishing up that Musha. Um bit was the only other thing I could think of is Portland is so big and everything is so spread out and the way this person's booth was set up Lamusha was in such a place where it is entirely possible I mean, that no one saw it. it. I mean, one hundred percent entirely possible yeah. because it wasn't like it was in a case, but it was like in a case with a couple other of odd rarities, and I think yeah. there was like a couple like other like loose cards in there. But then I think there was also well, like a Super Nintendo game, and it was like it was on a side like where you had to go through like a narrow walkway. It, it was. I love Portland, but it, it's big, and if your booth isn't set up, if yeah. your booth isn't set up like perfectly for maximum coverage of that stuff you might just not be selling stuff because no one's seeing it so i spent only thirty
0: dollars this year on stuff i bought uh there in the little swap meet uh runoff area i didn't even see that i mean i, I saw th- it, I, thought, I, thought I didn't they had, go in there, there was a there was a little side room yeah with, yeah. with about 10 extra vendors about yeah um from, one, swap area one was from san diego one had some some uh, pc engine stuff there was a guy that had computer stuff, uh, Coco stuff, which I know nothing about. I don't Tandy Coco. I know nothing about Tandy stuff. I don't know nothing about TRS-80, any of that stuff. But I bought, um, there was an Infocom C Stalker TRS-80 version, album version. My, my sister had the IBM slash Tandy, you know, box version. Only five bucks. I was like, that's a deal and a half for that. And I bought Infidel uh, by Infocom, which I never saw before, but it looks funny. It has a funny name. It has a lot, all the feelies. And then I got like a Tandy like Rampage in the blister pack for five bucks too. You know, the car. I was like, "That's okay. That's really what I bought. I might have bought like, other, other little things, but it was just sort of like you know, walking around talking to people. I I saw the WADA game grading booth. That I was a, wish I, I had seen
1: them. I would have liked to have uh, chatted with them again. They're very nice, but see, that's exactly my what I'm talking about with Portland. I didn't see them at all. So,
0: so I saw them. I talked to them. They're getting involved with Heritage auctions, which is a pretty big deal because Heritage, you know, they sell everything. They sell comics. They sell coins. They sell cards, baseball cards. So i i'd be, be interesting to see if if that raises the profile of sealed games to some or not i i have sealed' or graded well both Both sealed graded uh, most of the stuff they had is graded they had they had five nwc cards out gray ones that were graded i do disagree with grading nwc cards i've said why in the past because none of them were ever pristine mint you know you couldn't get one so what's the point of doing that But whatever i see they're grading these things um so they had a bunch of out, which is funny and, and then of course we saw I saw uh, all the, the three custom arcade carts. I I got the guy's card, really nice guy. The Ducktales That's, arcade, oh the machine, yeah. Ar, uh, the Ducktales arcade cab, the Legend of Zelda one, um, and then also the Mega Man one. And they're beautiful. Uh, this guy also, he's only made a few. He makes them all by hand. Yep. They're not even CNC routed. He he, he made a a Organ Trail wooden by hand. What? cabinet. was yeah. that there? It wasn't there. I I, uh, I, I, I got the guy's car. I showed you it, The picture you didn't see. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Was not there. So this guy does these as art pieces. Like so, the NES one has a real TV monitor, takes out the you know the casing of it, put and mounts it like an arcade monitor, uh, then puts an NES in the bottom and like you know zip ties it to the so it doesn't move. So you basically he basically runs a multi card on it. And but they're set up like like how the NES Donkey Kong like wide body cabinets were uh, slash PlayChoice 10 more closer to the PlayChoice 10. They're not as wide, but you know the same sort of control mm-hmm. scheme set out set up there. I, and I and I told them that. If you figure out a way to do like a cheaper Play Choice 10 style of these, where you just sell the cabinets to people like that, like this could be something that you know NES fans would want to get into or super or whatever. And he said, No, it's not a bad idea, but he likes doing them as art pieces. So that was that was the highlight. And besides, also the NES museum was insane from the National uh, Video Game uh, Preservation. Oh, I was
1: national kidding. video game. game
0: history foundation history foundation not museum
1: (laughs) yes they did a fantastic job uh frank kelsey uh, frank's wife amanda was involved um and everyone over there uh uh, steve had stuff in there john hancock's entire uh boxed collection video game history
0: foundation no no national video game video game
1: history History foundation half awake um uh, yeah, John Hancock's collection was there. Uh, yeah, John
0: Hancock brought all his complete-in-box NES games. Um, uh,
1: everything they there set w- up there was, was the, just uh, fantastic.
0: The 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 NES launch party t-shirt and, and like, po- a like, little poster. Um, everything. Just about everything was there. I contributed little things here and there, like the World of Powers NES books. I had um, It was funny. Frank had the entire, like, Nintendo... Um, like kid party pack, he had like the cups. Oh yeah, so. he had he had the uh, the tablecloths. He had like the place. He didn't have the the invitations. I had a pack of the invitations. Sarah, I said, I texted him. It. I was like, oh my god, bring those. It completes the set. So I brought that, and um, it was a nice history of Nintendo as well. There was there was a, a, a late '60s a Disneyland board game that Nintendo produced. that I never saw before. There were so many things either I never saw before or I had heard of a not seen it in person. You know, like like the um, like the T-shirt from the launch party in, in in New York in '85, and then the um, something I've never seen in person, which is the the kiosk Rob, the gigantic Rob. That thing head. was awesome. I've seen the we've all seen in Toys R Us a version of the one that shows the, the Nintendo Entertainment System with like the the Jar of My Pieces and Jar My Duck Hunt and the Zapper. But to see the rot, giant Rob head was mesmerizing in person. I I I'd never I'd I, seen it I believe part. Frank said there's only two of them, I, two of them that we know of. Because yeah. I know that a guy found two of them um, like five years ago, like in a warehouse, and think, one was brand new. I think he said there was two, but I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, there was a
1: lot of work put into that. Um, I, I, I was told that breakdown took six and a half hours. So, uh, you know, thank the people who did this, especially if you were able to get out there and Once see it. Once in a it. lifetime once in a lifetime Probably. that uh, I would say definitely <laughs> that stuff will and never all be under the same roof at the same time again. Um, so that was very special. Um, I, I had said this, uh, to Frank, but I, I, I mean, it, it's worth saying, uh, it was a very cool experience. I consider myself someone who, especially through retail, um, I, I've just been burnt out on the NES for so long, so long. And, um, I walked in and, you know, walking along the Nintendo timeline, it was really cool. And as I'm walking around lo- along the Nintendo timeline, there were two interesting things that happened that stuck out for me. One was I saw a 13-year-old kid basically taking his mom along and explaining the history of the Nintendo to the mom. his mom, wow. which was really cool. And I thought that was, I don't know, just oddly apropos. And two... I found myself getting excited looking at stuff again a lot of it that i knew about but hadn't seen in person but that i was like interested in seeing in like 99 and 2000 when i was in the internet i found myself getting excited about nintendo stuff again just seeing it for the first time in shit maybe a decade yeah. um it was really really cool and it brought back some of that i don't know that excitement and a TSR is any as archive excitement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like that, that's go. like that. That's a Herculean task. Um, and I can tell you the moment it happened. It happened when I looked at the little monitor displaying the um, test cartridge um, display screen with that black background and the you know the the colorful Nintendo logo thing, and it's got the zooming stars in the back. Okay, and something about that display. And it's kind of the same with like the intros okay. for all the black box games. It just screams Nintendo to me, sure. and it remind and that reminded me. It's like everything I really loved about Nintendo was all that, those three early years of Nintendo. There was just something very specific about that aesthetic and that style that I liked, and uh, yeah, it grabbed me. They did a
0: great job of conveying yeah. everything. They the games, um, games to play. They had a, a red tent Nintendo VS cabinet with Balloon Fight in it, which I didn't know was a double screen vertical which makes the game so much better. I was like wow, that's brilliant. That should be on that should be on the eShop or they should put that out. But no, it it was a great time. It was it was fun to see everyone come out there, uh see Rue come back from the dead. It was nice once a year that he still exists. I want to make uh,
1: one quick shout out to uh his name's Mike doing amazing things with pinball. 2000 oh, that's right. pinball. 2000. If you're unaware was a brief attempt at bringing pinball back to the masses in 99, 2000, they did two tables, revenge from Mars. And the first one was star Wars episode one. It used the CRT TV to pro- project a sort of hologram onto the play field without getting too in depth in it. This guy is making his own custom kit with it, created a whole new play field, um, and, uh, you know, using an uh, he's doing all sorts of crazy things. But I got a chance to play it. Uh, Pat did as well. He showed me the inside of the machine. Uh, what he's doing with this is incredible. So it's always fun to see the new things that they're doing yeah. with old stuff at this convention, whether it's homebrews or doing new stuff with old pinball. Um, that's really some of the most... That, that's just what makes Portland great. Yeah,
0: and, and there's always a, a new announcement and things happening at Portland. Like last year was like the the saving of the SimCity NES prototype card. Like that was like the big deal. That was fun. So I guess we can go into our first topic that we covered at our panel at PRGE. Um, actually, no, we didn't do that. We, we'll, we'll go to that afterwards. We're going to cover a topic that yeah. was an- <laughs> This was actually announced or spoken about, I believe, while we were doing our yeah, we were doing our panel. podcast panel by so. our by friend of the show Tommy Talarico. So we we spoke about the Intellivision new console a couple months back and and what the prospects were about it and at the time you know we gave our thoughts about it being well what, what does the Intellivision really mean in this day and age um, Is this going to be like an Atari VCS deal? And at the time, I remember, you know, Tommy waded into the topics and was talking to people and was like, just wait until you see what we have to reveal. Just wait and you'll get it. Wait and you'll get it. And the rumors were always that this was going to be something geared t- either educational or geared towards a younger crowd. That was always the, the sort of rumor. So they revealed, Ian, Tommy and friends, the team at Intellivision, who had a couple of books there, revealed the Intellivision Amico. Yes. So the Intellivision Amico is not slated until at least two years from now in October 2020. So this is going to be geared towards, I guess, the family uh, video game market. The, one of the biggest, I guess, surprises to me about it is that no game is going to be rated above uh, was It was E10. Correct. So 10-year-old. So not even like teenage, not even like, you know.
1: So no game will be above E10. And all games will be um, 2D, is what they're saying. Um, and before we go further, initially that seemed very uh, strange to me. However, when you look at the games that they uh, you know, immediately start talking about, um, such as uh, reimaginings of things like Pong, Centipede, Burger Time, um, and games like that, um, it's hard to say. It seems like they're going for a very retro feel on the games here almost more retro than say like well, a current indie game
0: you also have to be if well you have to be also be budget minded especially getting to the game cost sure. not being 3D keeps the cost down no no no
1: no, no. i, I yeah. my my thing is so i'm just saying 2D and then you talk about what they're trying to do um i feel like for one reason that's kid friendly for another reason i feel like it's just something that they're not really going to have to worry about if they're really trying to like stick to this Modern but simple Atari, a television, Super Flashback. Yeah, I mean that sort of thing. If, if that's the if that's the model of game they're going for, it it probably won't be too. You can still do adventure games. You can still do platformers. You can still do puzzlers. You can still do that stuff without it being kiddie. You can still keep it at E10. So basically, I mean, other than stuff, I mean when you look back at like it i i think i understand it only because when you look at something like the intellivision nothing on the original television would have been teen anyways so i think that's the point
0: so the plan is just gonna there's a couple press releases we were sent there's also a a four minute really slick trailer all these things have slick trailers vcs polymega retails between 149 and 179 uh north american united kingdom and european release date will be 10 10 2020 comes together yeah, uh, all games are family friendly at rated E for everyone or E ten. E ten plus. Okay. Every game version on the console is exclusive. We'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Quality over quantity. Balance gameplay and design for equal opportunity gaming. Trademark for all. Okay. I'm not sure what that is. All games were downloadable in between three dollars and eight dollars. No DLC content. add-ons or in-app purchases. Mm -hmm. Launched to include several built-in imagined Intellivision classics pre-installed in every console and over 20 games. Reimagined imagined Intellivision classics. (laughs) Yeah, imagined because most people haven't played them. Uh, And over 20 games including both reimagined industry classics and brand new exclusive titles via the Intellivision online store. Let's just stick with that for now. Okay. That part of that. So we we, we talked about the for everyone. It makes sense if you want to gear this towards families. I kept talking about bringing family gaming back. Bringing this back. Even though We'll get into why that could be erroneous since Nintendo's been uh, yes, doing that's, that, forever. that was Yeah, that was my big point. Let's well, talk so, about that now. So that was... I wasn't at the panel to announce it, but, that, but that, one of the sticking points was that the uh, these other consoles, not, they have games that have violence in them, games that aren't kid-friendly uh, necessarily, but uh, that kids can maybe see by accident. But, you know, there are a lot of children titles on these other consoles. Even PS4, there's titles... For, you know, out there for kids.
1: As a person who who works in retail, um, I will admit that it's very frustrating to sell anything on the PS4 or Xbox One to kids, especially if you're looking in used games. It is, however, the Nintendo exists. Sure, this is kind of the point that I made last time. This is not to be harsh, but. We cannot just keep saying that there is, uh, you know, there's no, there's no kid friendly systems on the market. There's no family friendly mar- systems on the market. When the Switch exists, Nintendo's existed forever. Nintendo fills that niche. Uh, and- niche. I mean, it's that's that's what that's what Nintendo does. And yes, there are some adult games on the Switch, or you know, some you know adult focused oriented games on the Switch. But that's never been Nintendo's main focus. And it's only really been in the past 10-15 years that Nintendo's even made an attempt to get those games on there. That's that's a concession to the adult gamer that Nintendo has done. Nintendo's not making concessions to kid gamers. They're making concessions to adult gamers. So that that reason that reason to me does not float. That that's not a reason
0: for Sure. But regardless, for regardless, though, if I have a family and kids, I can go on the PlayStation Store, Xbox, Live Arcade. I can find them games to play. I could. Sure. It yes, might, you it can. May, it may not be in the total abundance that we're talking about, but I can find them I can find them packs of Intellivision games to play and Atari games that, that were released on these consoles. You know what I mean? I'm saying the, these things exist. It's just how much work are parents going to do to seek it out? And conversely, if I'm a parent, there's a way to keep my kid from from buying violent games. I can watch what they're doing. They don't have my credit card information, hopefully, if they're eight years old. Right. They're not gonna be able to walk into a Toys R Us and buy, you know, GTA five. They won't be able to they don't have it. again, they don't have the they have cash. The teller shouldn't be uh selling that. Well, there's no two more Toys R Us's. But you see what I'm saying though? There there are there's some boundaries in place when it comes to this stuff already. But I see the point, not having to worry about it at all. Like Hands off! Let's not worry about it. This is a console; they can only get these sort of games, and that's it. I do see sure. the appeal of that to some. Um, now, family
1: friendly and cheap. Now, that's that's a combo that's perhaps different than say something like the Switch. But I, I don't know. I, yeah, the whole overlooking that there is a well, family friendly console. One eighty
0: isn't a cheap console. You know, no, one eighty isn't that far off. I mean, how, no, how, I meant cheap game. Oh, games. Cheap, the games, uh, th- three to eight dollars. I see. Uh, the the other thing I'm going to say is that. You know, kids are growing up with with phones and tablets, and they they already have their kid games in their hands when they grow up. So I think to say that these games are only going to be two D. I understand you will probably want to keep your cost down. You don't want to put a powerhouse chip in here that can run like any modern game, like Fortnite or what, what have you. But kids are growing up with stuff they're playing on their phone that are three D. Oh yeah, so. I don't see why you would limit yourself to that unless you just want to. You don't want to get into that sort of game market. Well, I I feel like it's honestly two D is probably kept there because they
1: need to keep the games between two ninety nine and seven. So they can't afford, and you can't. Right, there's that's an to me that's got to be an affordability. Has to be, yeah. It's got to be an affordability issue or it's, yeah, it's got to be something like that. Or it's a concession. It's a it's a middle of the road. It's an affordability thing, but also the maybe the, the only 2D games thing is to hopefully pull in, um, you know, not just, you know, family-friendly, people who are looking for something family-friendly, but just retro game enthusiasts. Maybe sure. that's a
0: double, you know, it's a bid for two markets. Do you want to talk about, some so many things to talk about this. Do you want to talk about just the fact that it's branded in television?
1: that is odd but to me that's not that's not as that's not as big of a, a deal i mean it has to be branded something it could be branded anything
0: not just the amico
1: yeah i mean honestly i i for whatever reason i think the name amico kind of sounds interesting rolls off the tongue it could have just been branded the amico so
0: here's here's the the gambit. I think is that the, the, obviously you get recognition. This is the same thing with with. You hate to bring it back up. The reason they wanted to be the Coleco Chameleon, not just the not just the Retro VGS. The same reason, you know, you are rebranding these things is that it pulls in people to say, "Oh my god," and Televisions making a new console, even though it's not the same company that existed forty years ago. There, we know this company, but if the but if the hardware, that's Branded with this old name doesn't really fit. It loses the purpose to me because there's nothing here that screams me like this is the Intellivision experience until you get to those controllers, and this is where I think they went too far with the Intellivision branding, because the controllers they want it to be reminiscent of the uh, Intellivision controllers of old by having you have a instead of a D-pad you have a circular pad. Yes, which to me, was one of the worst things about the television. Some people might disagree and say they love their games that because it was like, what, there were 16 directions instead of 8? Okay. Sure, but well, we you...
1: have to think about the wide user base that people are trying to, that they would try to be um, acquiring. Sure. Um, so, you know, there might be people who nostalgically love that circle controller but our are... Is everyone going to love it? We,
0: it there's a there's a reason means, that yes. evolved past that, right? Right? Exactly. We can all agree upon that's, that.
1: That's what I'm getting at. So, did was it done for image, look, or recognition? If this is for kids, if this is family friendly, why didn't
0: why not make the choice for something that's yeah. more accessible? Because kids won't care that this is based upon the construction of controller from from 1978 uh, 879. They won't care. Right. They want something that's easy to play. Will this be and again, these are kids growing up with with phones and tablets, or or a switch, and they're used to having you know a D pad or even a joystick or or a tactile feel. And yes, there is a touch screen on here. I do like the
1: touch screen. I think it's interesting that it's there instead of the number pad. I do kind of like that. I'm going to be honest. Well, though. that
0: would be a no brainer in stay in Asia to do that. Yeah, sure. Will, I, I do you you know. just. I'm just saying. I think it's cute. But but I think we, we banking on probably. A console name, and then going back to the well on the controller design is too far, especially when you have like the side control buttons. Now, yes, you're going to be playing your reimagined television games on this, but you can play them in other ways besides the original controller form. You can, right? It looks know. to me a bit too limiting if you
1: did eventually decide you wanted to branch out and do something slightly different. You're limited that's, to that. Yeah, that's that's not a. <laughs> Jesus, Pat. That's not... <laughs> that's... <clears throat> there's a limit to my patience. Go on, Ian. <laughs> don't you get s- snappy. Um, I just don't see... That control scheme worked for those older type games. It's not going to work real well, I don't think, for a lot of modern day platformers. And a lot of people don't... ensure sure you can put buttons and ta- you know, yeah, on the touchscreen. The, s- the
0: side buttons are terrible for that, those sort of games.
1: And you can put touchscreen yeah. buttons on the top, but a lot, I don't like using touchscreen buttons. But buttons.
0: they have the side action buttons, the same way ColecoVision did, and those two, those get really difficult to use for certain types of games. They do. But you got over you, time, yes. You got to grab it underneath, like what? Mm. So okay, so you have a bunch of uh, there's like HDMI out, of course. You have things like that, gyroscope, accelerometer, force feedback. Speaker, microphone, free downloadable app enables mobile phones as additional controllers, update players. That's cool. That is. If you can do a party style game or what have you, you can
1: do that. I like the wireless charging. That's essentially like the wireless charging that all cell phones use now.
0: Sure. Just drop it and go. That makes sense. Uh, online store, of course. Uh, there's a leaderboard system uh, online for high scores, trophy awards and achievements. And then you get to the, uh, the, re-imagined, uh, the reimagined games. So... Intellivision Classics reimagined and remade exclusively for the Amico. So that means, you know, we, we, gotta, we gotta get some get the work here and, on, let's see, Astro Smash and Shark Shark. Didn't we talk about that on the podcast that they tried to do that with a Kickstarter a couple years ago? They tried. Yeah, to... they
1: did. We did actually talk about and, that. But then, then
0: we figured out they were already remastered. They were available in some form. That was so long ago, but yes, we did talk yes, about that. They I were, they that. were yes, available yes, yes. somewhere. But I just think it's funny. Baseball, Night Stalker, Skiing, Math Fun, Snafu, Utopia, Frog Bog, and more. And b Seventeen Bomber, which people only know because of the of the voiceover. Um, Atari Classics reimagined and remade. So you have Pong, Asteroids, uh, not Asteroids, Centipede, Tempest, Adventure, Miss Command, more. And then I Magic Classics, Classics, Classics re- re- uh, reimagined and remade. Uh, those were the Silver boxed. In television games and also some of those appeared on Atari: Microsurgeon, Atlantis, Demon Attack, Dracula, Beauty and the Beast, Ice Trek, Swords of Serpents, Dragon Fire, Truck, and more. And then other games reimagined, remain exclusively. You have Minor 2004 Niner, Super Burger Time, Bad News, Caveman Ninja, R-Type. So you have Irem games like Ten Yard Fight, Load Runner, um, some Broderbun games. You have Spelunker, Kung Fu Master, and more. Toe jam and Earl's on there too. And Archon, which is our favorite NES strategy board game uh, slash action game. I wish I could play it better. <laughs> it's a great game. I actually do like that game quite a bit. Um, so in the press release and also in the in the video, they 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 touted that Intellivision was a legacy of first about first technically sixteen bit system. It sold across three decades, even though no one was buying it by the even the mid eighties really. Um, but it did. I guess they sold it up till ninety. Um, the, the directional thumb pad. Uh, that became the D pad, uh, pause feature, sports games that were for the first time, the, the, the first uh, games you can buy uh, online because they had the, the little modem thing in Majaber. So, things like that. So, I don't know, again, with the Intellivision branding, what audience they're reaching at here. The only people out there that really are familiar with Intellivision are hardcore game collectors, or old or older folks at this point. Because in, when this console came out in in, in seventy nine, you probably would have been at least ten or twelve to own this. This was this was the Intellivision was pushed as like the technically superior, like Neo Geo of its time. Like it was this was this was the console to that put the Atari VCS to shame. It was in all their marketing with with uh, author George Plimpton. Uh, yes. To say like, look at the Atari games; they're simple, and and they look like trash. And here's our baseball game with actually has nine players on the field. And you're like, oh, okay, that's cool. The games are more complicated because they had more buttons, so you can do more. You can do stuff like um, the the what was it? The, the Quest for the Rings, the Lord of the Rings sort of uh, knockoff game they had. You can do stuff like that that you could never dream of doing on the Atari. You Utopia. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, there was a lot of games like that that were okay. They're a little more advanced, but Atari was always known as the games that were you know had the arcade experience. They were simple. They were easy to get into and fun. So when you're branding it in television, I would think that that would not be the simple children's game just on its face in terms of the branding, be, because that's not exactly how it was pushed and touted and and thought about. Not thought about to this day as as a, a console that was friendly towards children. It wasn't. The television. It wasn't. They didn't have all the kid-friendly uh, arcade games that you had in the Atari. So, to me, again, there's a disconnect there in the branding. But that's not the biggest deal to me. With I'm, that, yeah, I'm less hung up on the branding
1: just because the kids aren't going to know one way or another, so it's not going to matter. Um, my uh, my bigger question is really when it comes to the idea of um, entirely exclusive games and how that would work and how that's going to last. Um, with games at two ninety nine to seven ninety nine a piece, um, if it doesn't sell, um, I mean, I hope for everyone it works out. But if it if it doesn't, um, I mean, th- those people. I mean, how long can you develop exclusively for one system if it turns out that this isn't going to work?
0: Well, developers can't because they got to make it's, money elsewhere. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> yes. So, so if the so the if the Intellivision launches and they get an install base of only a. Uh, You know, a thousand people, you can't develop for exclusively all your time. So it's a gambit. I guess. I guess. See. See. I don't know much about what's on the. You know, if they have an in-house team that's doing this and only doing, it makes sense. Like a first-party team that's going to be okay. We have all. Obviously, they have the rights to these. In television. Obviously, but I'm looking at things like R-Type, which has always
1: had a billion remakes. So I mean, what's going to separate that remake? And it's already been a lot of these games already been reimagined. Right. So what's going to separate the remake on the in television? Of our type, um, you know, from other remakes of our type or re-releases of our type, what's going to set um, Toe Jam and Earl? We already know is doing, you know, uh, limited runs. Been talking about Toe Jam and Earl, and, yes. You know, so I mean, what's going to set the what is what is going to make it so exclusive as to make it special enough to have people, you know, to make that matter?
0: Sure. Um, just a couple of things from the press release. Um, that I want to comment on from the from the, 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 the second press release. Uh, we are creating a console that parents want to buy and not that they were asked to buy, stated Intellivision President and 30-year initiative had in Tommy Tallarico during his keynote address over the weekend at PRGE. I'm not sure you can say that parents are want to buy something before it's on the market. Um, I think you're looking at parenting a different way for the new generation because parents now are even younger than we are. You know, mm-hmm. parents are 30 you know, thirty years old, twenty-five. These are uh, people that, well, they know they don't. Most of them don't know what the television is, but they're growing up again, giving their kids iPhones and tablets. I'm not saying that's a good thing to do. I'm just saying that's what's happening. And Nintendo consoles. And Nintendo consoles. P- kids are playing. Kids can. Kids. Uh, people don't give kids enough credit for being able to grasp complexity of some stuff. Too. I
1: tell that to people all the so, time in the store. They're like, "Well, is this game going to be too hard for my kids?" And it's like, "What age were you when you remember playing your first game?" Four five six I said kids want to play video games they will figure out video games
0: so Tommy said most every game being made for the home consoles these days is created with only the hardcore gamer in mind we see a world where everyone is interested in playing at home with friends but this isn't currently possible because the barrier to entry is nearly impossible for a non gamer due to the complexity of the controllers intricacy of gameplay and expense of the hardware and software and steep learning curve with an unbalanced fun factor for the beginner I don't think that's true I just don't. I think you can give a five-year-old Super Mario Odyssey and they'll figure it out in five, ten minutes. Mario Kart. Or Mario Kart. They're smart. It goes back to Nintendo. I, yeah, I don't I, want to sound... I'm not, I'm not totally poo-pooing this, but I mean, I was a kid who learned how to use BASIC on an XT when I was five and six to load games. You know what I mean? Like, kids figured this stuff out. You know.
1: I just feel like there was a marketing avenue maybe could I think the console, personally, I'm going to be completely honest here, I think the console kind of looks interesting it, okay. does, it does, I'm not going to lie I don't know what it is about it, maybe it's something neat about the touchscreen controller or, or what it is or I, I don't know, I, there is something that I, I, I there is something about it that is somewhat appealing to me however, it's this marketing that really confounds me Because I don't know, I'm not sure how we could get into an entire marketing campaign like this without anyone thinking, wait, no, this is done. This has been done. This is done because almost every answer here is answered by another company that's already out there doing
0: this for $100 more. This is the only thing from the press release that really bothered me, this part. Uh, game Industry Analyst and Web Bush Securities Managing Director of Equity Research, Michael Pachter, commented. Oh, no. I think it's about time somebody focused on families and kid-friendly games. And this is the same guy that yeah. hated on Nintendo, Nintendo for years and said that the... Uh, the, the well, for he was right to say that Wii U was bad, but he said the Switch was going to just be uh, dead in the water. And he said that Nintendo should go after the hardcore audience, you know in order to be successful. This is a guy that said that and now he's saying that noah has been focused on families when Nintendo was forever and ever and ever. So that rubs in the wrong way. Michael Packard by the way is, is raw most of the time on stuff. Yeah. He's just a guy that was on game trailers, you know, 8 9 years ago. That and I'm just sitting here now realizing that people are going to say we're
1: being Nintendo fanboys. We're here. not. I'm, I'm really not in this instance.
0: It's just But Nintendo's a console everyone's been knocked for being too kiddy forever yeah, yes. and ever and, and ever. ever. And now and now they're not anymore, apparently. Now you know what they're not kiddy enough. Yeah. So, all right. That's, I mean, and also add to this, like I said, I don't know if this is going to be a success or not. Uh, you, there's, a, there's a team behind this of people from the industry. There's a laundry list of people. So they, they have there are la-
1: some good names behind it. There's a
0: laundry list lined up, which is great. That's good to hear. That's always good when you have a list of people that you can say, okay, these guys have published uh, games in the past. These guys have worked on stuff that's actually shipped you know so so that's
1: good i feel like there's a solid team behind it i feel like there are some interesting ideas I, to it
0: i you know i i just i just i just wish there was no connection of any nostalgic base that has almost no reason for it to exist in this day and age you know they start the trailer with the television running man which no one knows what that is when they see that so it, it's it's You're just, right. It's a weird
1: mishmash if it's it, it it's trying like I said earlier it's trying to appeal to two tar- two very different target demographics
0: families and people that are nostalgic for the Intellivision which are two entirely different different groups of people at this day, day and age there you go it just is okay so we'll see what happens uh, in two years I'm sure we'll get a lot more announcements we're gonna get a lot more changes my advice is this drop the Intellivision style controller, drop it immediately. There's no reason for that to be there except or offered separately just for the television games for that small yeah. part of the audience that wants to play Do that. Do
1: it separately. Put a controller on there. with a, I mean, design a controller with a touchpad as well
0: and put the same buttons, but you don't want a four-year-old trying to wrangle an Intellivision style controller with grip buttons and that. You want the kid to, to play something they're already familiar with or know about and not have to relearn relearn a controller scheme that thankfully died out by 1980 there's a reason why no one continued that style of controller afterwards all right all right that's it moving on
1: hi it's ian here from
0: the c podcast and pat and i are
1: proud to partner with quip one of the most important things we do is wake up clean ourselves up scrub our teeth down every morning yes and evening and uh you know a lot of us don't do it right or don't do it long enough quips here uh with their new toothbrush, with their sonic scrubbing action, and it's fantastic. Better designed, better designed electric toothbrush created by dentists and designers. It's uh, it it's massaging, it's deep cleaning, and it gets in there and uh, really gets the job done. It has a two minute timer, helps you make mm-hmm. sure you're getting everything done and you're, uh, you're brushing for long enough, uh, with 30 second pulses to let you know so you can hit every
0: quadrant of your mouth. Um, Sensitive sonic vibrations And they're gentle enough On your gums Correct The bristles on these Are are super super soft So at first you're like What is this And you're like Oh I see what's going on here It's soothing It's soothing It gets in there You won't have those Bleeding gums Like my dentist used to do to me When I was four years old Scrubbing too hard If you didn't have to Rush off to your job It might almost put you Back to sleep Um, the, the uh, quip
1: comes with um, a multi-use cover. basically it's a holster. It can also be used or for travel. You can flip it around and pop it on the top for travel. Um, the brush heads and toothpaste are automatically delivered on a three month schedule for five dollars. You get enough toothpaste for three months. Uh, for 25 bucks, you get the uh, if you go to slash cu podcast, for 20 bucks, you get your first refill, refill pack for free and a Quip toothbrush. That's your first refill
0: pack for free at getquip.com slash G e t q u i p. dot com. Get, brush, and massage those gums. They do a lot for you. They deserve a break sometimes. We're proud to be partnering, Ian, with Robinhood. That's the stock and investment app. Let's you buy and sell stocks etfs options and cryptocurrency all commission free they strive to make financial services work for everyone not just the wealthy non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence A simple sleek layout get what you need your stocks you click on it you see the trends you see what's going on You get some advice and you can buy and sell the best part about it there's no commission fees other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. You trade stocks and keep all your profits. It's easy to understand charts and market data. Just place a trade in just four taps from your smartphone. You're eating some ramen, Ian. You want to see what's going on with Bitcoin? You can say, all right, I want to buy some Bitcoin right now while I'm eating my ramen. There, right, done. Whoa. Four, four clicks, right? Four clicks. Before you get your ramen delivered to you at the table. <laughs> uh, the web platform all, lets you view stock collections 100 most popular sectors like entertainment and social media. And curated categories like female CEOs and analyst ratings of buy, hold, and sell for every stock. So there you go. So right now, Robinhood's doing something cool for you guys, the listeners. Giving you a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you start building your portfolio. You sign up at cupodcast.robinhood.com. That's cupodcast.robinhood.com. Get going with your buying and selling of your stocks and crypto today. So Ian, we were at the Purge PRGE. We purged, and we uh, we had a panel, and we covered a couple of topics. The first topic we covered there, besides the cool Q&A, well, you went to the fingers too early. Yeah, I we did. covered the announcement of Analog doing their Mega SG FPGA Genesis console. So we're gonna we're gonna fade right here. We're gonna edit and fade right here. So this is an interesting time, Ian. For retro gaming, the evolution evolution of modern gamers wanting to play the old thirty year old games in a brand new way, and it seems now every other month we're hearing about a new console that gets at that itch, like that. <laughs> <laughs> Pat never touches me. I don't oh, know hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, he's not scratch and snip. But um, so the study was washed like two months ago. <laughs> so analoging has has been sort of the, the, the forerunners of this realm, with the NT, which was their FPGA, well, originally they just cannibalized Famicoms, right. then the Mini-NT was an FPGA NES, then you had the Super NT, which is a Super Nintendo FPGA, and now, Ian, now, Ian. We have the only one that matters. Oh, really? Yes. The Sega uh, MG, Super, M- Super MG. Super MG, me- no, mega, mega MG. SG, me- Jesus, mega. M- I-, I do a podcast, mega SG, Ian. Let me clue you in on a little trivia. Okay. that's that's
1: <laughs> mega for Mega Drive and SG for Sega. Well, I thought I thought Sega MG might be Sega Mega Drive. That would make more sense to me. I mean, they can't. They because can't. They, can't, use they Sega. can't put Sega in the title.
0: That's true. Sega is very litigious. So the Mega SG, Ian. Yes. You're getting ordered already, I love it. I'm gonna scratch you again if you don't calm down. So so
1: <laughs> so,
0: so so the mega SG is an FPGA oh, we're good. Uh, Sega Genesis. That's gonna be available for uh, $189.99. Comes in four hot colors. Four hot colors, what are those hot colors? There they are. We got white, we got
1: Japanese, we got American, and we got Euro.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: Which one do you prefer, You? Um, I-, I like all four. You gonna buy all four? I would like to buy all four and wear them
0: around my neck. Not <laughs> on a big chain. So, so it also includes, we'll just run through everything here, That these awful ads. So it also does um, there Sega go.
1: Master System cartridges. And it will do Mega Drive and it will do Genesis out of the box.
0: To be this good takes Analog. So look at this, uh, no emulation, 1080p, zero lag, total accuracy, compatible with Mega SG is not a plug and play toy. Ooh. No it's not. Okay, um, Mega uh, 2100 plus Sega Genesis, Mega Drive, and Master System game cartridge library. No compromises, there you go. And there's an adapter, oh, the plug just for the Sega CD, just like the original, that's great. For, for the old beloved Sega CD games. uh 8 bit is also helping out with this, like they did with the uh, Super NT with their six button pad here. And they do quality products. I have uh, the SN Pro 30, which is a great Super Nintendo one, and it has all the extra buttons, so you can use it with the switch, it has the home buttons, has the extra two triggers on the back. So it's, it's your all in one sort of uh, uh, yeah, one stop shop, One stop shop for modern and retro stuff on the Switch. Um, high fidelity sound, reference quality control. I'm not sure what that means, but being that it's an FPGA, this is the most accurate you would get besides owning an original Sega Genesis. Unparalleled compatibility. So they're also doing these interesting little uh, plastic card adapter shells to fit in the system, and it's going to come with one for the Sega Master System when you order this. Right. So that's great, so really you're getting two systems. Right out of the box, right there for one ninety. Uh, then they're also playing for, for the Game Gear because that's the same, basically the same guts as the Master System. Um, the cards, the SG one thousand, and then the three thousand, which I think is interesting. I, I actually think that's
1: that's kind of one. So just
0: thinks, cause the, we're the, just going to cover everything, and maybe thirty two X we will get into. But we're just going to cover all the Sega systems up to, up to you know the Genesis. So that's cool. The SG
1: one thousand is pretty interesting because those. Aren't exactly cheap. No, to find, and when you do, I mean, you're going to pay a lot of shipping. So, that's interesting. That should open up a whole library for a lot of people who maybe have never experienced it. Um, game Gear is nice because I know that there's there are people who love it, but there's good games on it, and it's not. Sorry if I'm going to insult anyone. It's it's an awful handheld, um, and I love handhelds. I mean, that's my bread and butter, and I like some shitty handhelds, but I can't do the Game Gear, so.
0: Okay, so that's great. So this is potentially up to, one, two, three, six, six systems. Five or six systems if you, if you think, well the 3,000, 1,000 if you want to say they're different. Not really. But um, Game Gear, Master System, my card, which is what Master System. So it's interesting. So those are gonna come out next year sold separately, those other ones. Can you do me a favor? Can you scroll back up a little bit? Scroll, scroll, scroll. Where do you want to go? Keep going, keep going keep going who designed that yeah. <laughs> who made that what well, you don't know, like the black lettering on geo cities bullshit <laughs> that, that is awful <laughs> that, that is miserable they're not a scumbag <laughs> seller of the week though no they're not but that we is like, scumbag like, you know, like, seller of the, the week quality I web need, I, w- I want a review copy of this or free copy i do too I do, maybe they'll like my sassy attitude that is awful this is probably worse though that's not than good that's, either that's Probably worse to me.
1: They make great products, but I, I oh yeah. so that's
0: bad design. So here's so here's the 8-bit M30. So they have the SN30, which is the same version uh, for Super Nintendo. They look great. They the look contours great. on that are fantastic, sexy, right? Sleek. It would make a good bar soap. Keep a PC <laughs> it PG13. 13 So here's your tech specs here. Scanline options, scaler options. You can stretch it out. There you go. SD round. card, XD card firmware yeah. updating. So I wonder if that means someone will unlock that for ROMs. We don't know. We don't know, but probably they'll unlock the heck out of it. Probably, hopefully for Sega CD, and I'm hoping eventually we'll get 32x support. Yeah, I don't see why they wouldn't be able to do that. They'll set the firmware update from the magic of good old Kevtris, who also um, worked on the the NT and the Super NT. So the Mini NT and, the, and so how do you order this? How do I order this? Uh, store. all right. No internet. Okay, we can't order it. <laughs> okay. oh. oh, I ruined it. I ruined the panel. Is there a Wi-Fi here? Everyone go home. <laughs> oh, there's an open one. Steal my bank information. Okay. Well, here's an article about it. So, Ian, are you in the market for this at $190? I thought you said the shipping was a little pricey. I believe the shipping is 40 which...
1: That's kind of, I mean,
0: I'm not going to buy Wi-Fi, so we're not. That's, that. That's silly. Forty dollars shipping.
1: Um, I think that was just done so they could release it and say that it was under two hundred dollars. But I think that puts it at about
0: two ten. That's really about two ten because there's no way it's costing forty dollars to ship that. You don't think so? So, or what are you are you calling it analog for their shipping practices?
1: I mean, I'm doing it because you agreed with me last night that that was bogus, but you're, you're
0: letting me... I don't recall that conversation, Ian. <laughs> this is Pat throwing you under the bus right now. Pat well, is throwing me under the bus. <laughs> um, yes, I'm calling
1: them out. Oh, yeah, well, okay. Hello, Your shipping is bad. Your website's not great. For small... Your
0: products are fantastic. <laughs> yes. For a box that size, this should not be bigger—that much bigger than the Super NT. It should not cost priority shipping more than—I'll be generous—fifteen to twenty dollars to ship this. It should not cost. But much. it's so cute. It's adorable. I can't stay mad at it for long. <laughs> <laughs> can't see meta analog baby. So, please, please, Turtle Graphics in, in the future—that would be great. So there were some shots fired on the official analog account at a certain other console right now that is struggling that we spoke about. They said this is no, and I'm, I'm almost directly quoting no hybrid emulation bullshit. That was the official analog Twitter account. I don't know who they're going to be talking about, Ian. I have no idea who that is. No clue. <laughs> so this is going to come out, and it's going to do well. I'm not sure it'll do as well as the super, but it'll still do well enough. And then now we're, you'll have a new. That highly overrated system. Ooh. Now it's highly overrated, not just overrated. The Super Nintendo. So I think year after year, you might have a new one until we run out of these. You know, the magic of cap crystals so keep, keep writing those FPGAs. I'm highly, I'm I'm really hoping for a PC engine. I I I think that's the final frontier, right? Or a Neo Geo one? That could be interesting. I hear a whoa, <laughs> whoa, whoa. Wait, wait a second. And I have it cost thousand dollars. That'd be great. So yeah, I think we're getting there. So. Now we're in. I think we're peaking when it comes to the options to play these old systems with backwards compatibility because now you have all the flashcards for all these systems. You have these FPGA systems coming out. We have three of the major, major uh, retro systems available. You can mod your old ones uh, to play. You can get your little uh, little boxes you set up to your, what are those, the $400 thing that you like? Oh, the Framemeister. The is out there. And now you have companies like um, like you have the GameCube one from Eon Gaming to make an adapter for HDMI, pound cables just uh, as I limited run the past three days, they're PS1/ slash PS2 HDMI cable, and it's just a was it I think it's like 30 bucks, 40 bucks, and that's all you need. and it gets the job done and it converts the signal to HD. So we have now several ways to do this. So I think though. For people that want this FPGA though, this is gonna be sort of the, the obviously it's is gonna be the gold standard because this is better than software emulation. So Retro Freak, Retron 5, Polymerica, this is a better solution for most people that want that accurate quality. And this is all new hardware, this should last longer than a, you know, crusty Sega Genesis from 30 years ago. So, you know, if we get a whole line of these, that could be the solution. In the long run, from ne- I'm talking about next like 30, 40 years, like this is going to be how people play these systems if they want to use the original, soft, you know, physical cartridges. Right. So, anything else to add, Ian? Besides uh, changing your short set because you're so in love with this? Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. We're gonna fade Woo! back. And some great salient points made by Ian as 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 usual. Pat was right on the money. Yep. Yep. I, I was surprised by, uh, you know, someone threw a can of soda at us. They disagree with the point that I made, but we, we got through that. <laughs> <laughs> I lit it on fire and chucked
1: it right back. So next up, we're going to talk about the Collector Vision Phoenix FPGA ColecoVision console Kickstarter. Or we did talk about it already at PRGE. That's right. We're going to go back in time once more. Go back
0: Ooh, in time. So, Ian, there was another FPGA console here now it's on Kickstarter. It's the Collector Vision Phoenix and FPGA ColecoVision Vision <laughs> console. This this, was, this yes, was like is this is like literally the day or two after the last podcast that this came out. So it's an FPGA ColecoVision. Uh, it exists. The prototype's out here. I first saw the prototype uh, at Games 31's convention, who's a part of Collector Vision, at Game On Expo. So this is a real thing. They have a prototype. Hence why it can be on Kickstarter. So that's good. So. There's 218 backers, two and a half weeks ago, 50, almost $57,000 uh, for this project. Here, as my wheel mouse. So there it is, there's the prototype, they're a functional prototype in a 3D printed case. Final, will have an injection. I didn't realize it was gonna computer. be so small. That's crazy. MPJs are cute and small. Well, they I, yeah, they, your they, hand. they are. So it, so you can use, uh, you know, you can use your regular play Vision controller. I think you can use a Sega Genesis with the same port, I think. Um, I think you can, right? You can you do that? But then you need the buttons, though, anyway. Yeah, yeah to play, you to the play and, like, mouse trap and stuff. They got the same port as uh, the NES controllers only. Oh, there's, there's NES controller ports? Okay, well there you go. So, see, look at the size. It's like it's like a quarter of the size. That's adorable. And ColecoVision is my favorite pre-NES console. I, I love the ColecoVision. ColecoVision's adorable. It's adorable. Compa- region-free, 100% accurate, all ColecoVision games, HDMI output, digital audio out. Special features, video enhanced compatibility built in. See, I'm not—I don't know all about this stuff about like the opcode, a, a SGM stuff. I just you know that like un, unleashes the full power of the ColecoVision. You can do slightly more modern games. So I've seen like a a, a video it's of, ripping like, off its shirt. Yes, ColecoVision's is like I'm here, baby. <laughs> I, I did see like a Gradius version on, on uh, ColecoVision, and it looked respectable. Like it's not the NES one, but it's. Closer. I think ColecoVision, you're always going to be sort of that in between Atari 2600 and NES, but it gets it, it nudges it a little bit closer. It's not
1: as awesome as the 5200, but the ColecoVision's got some pectorals.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure, doing their push ups. So uh, you have SD card firmware update, SD card slot, which means you probably can buy a more ROMs in the this, this sucker eventually, original Super Nintendo port, there you go. Oh there's built-in games that I did not oh, know. So you get the Collector Vision Phoenix Video Game System. You get the City Hunter and the Caverns of Death, exclusive packing game cards with a fifty dollars value, and ten homebrew games at a hundred fifty dollars value. I don't know much about uh, the ColecoVision homebrew scene. I'm, I'm assuming these are fun games: uh, Chess uh, Challenge, Shore Princess Quest, looks like a Zelda Two sort of side scroller here, Zombie Near, and a few others. Tank Mission. Not combat. combat. Honestly, I, with the ColecoVision I like the games
1: that have come out or that, that were released for it, um, but the homebrew scene is something that I haven't touched with ColecoVision and it's what interests me I think the most about it right now.
0: So this is going to cost you $199 plus shipping just for the uh, Phoenix and then 209 if you get a controller with, with a Super Nintendo controller and then it goes up from there adding in a complete box, Caverns of Death. Limited,
1: limited
0: edition uh, color edition for Adams. So that'll probably be a white one, I be guess. Calling. So here's the thing: Ian. this is a cool concept. Obviously, it exists. This isn't like the chameleon This is a real product. Someone yeah. developed the FPGA. Uh, the assholes that currently own the Coleco license are involved with this, so that's a positive to me. Right. Right. So they're they're, they're pieces of trash. So the issue, though, is the fact that. The the end goal though is very high. It's two hundred thirty thousand dollars. Sure, and at two hundred dollars a system, it's unsure if this is gonna hit the goal. If you've gone to my head, I'd say this would not hit the goal. So it's it's looking tough. A lot of uh, a
1: lot of Kickstarter's can rally at the end. I've seen plenty of them do it. Um, but I would imagine that there's probably a contingency plan here, I would hope.
0: Yes, I, I have heard, I know a source close to this that says that really? there is a contingency plan. So hmm. this will come out one for another. It should come out, there should be a solution to this. I think though what we're getting at though is the viability of these sort of upgraded modern ways to play old games that it really, in a, in a sharp way, shows you the limited reach of some of these consoles 35 years later. Right. So ColecoVision sold a, a decent amount back then uh, of systems, not as much as the Atari 2600 obviously, but it wasn't like even like the Vectrex which you know, barely got off the ground was gone in like two years. Uh, you know, ColecoVision did okay for itself, but 35 years later, who out here is still playing these games and who here wants to invest 200 plus to play it on a modern TV? Those are entirely different questions. Right. And this really gets to the heart of that what are what's the size of these audiences for these more niche systems? This isn't the Genesis, this isn't the NES, this isn't the Super Nintendo. This is the ColecoVision. I mean, there's people most people in this room were not alive when this was released. You know, you have to be at least 35 years old to have been around. So, yeah, I love the ColecoVision
1: system. So do I. I love I'm it. glad that this is happening. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's an interesting juxtaposition to see this happening at the same time that, say, the um,
0: the Mega SG is happening. Um, and it could be the fact that there's just too many of these being released at one time, with the you know Polymega, the uh, Mega SG, I got it right, and the, the Phoenix, It's maybe it's too much hitting within like a month, month and a half, when people are like, oh my god, oh my god, if they were spaced out more, uh, but again. What I do
1: think is cool, though, is when you look back at, say, the popularity of the Atari 2600, um, and stuff like that. I think it's neat that the ColecoVision has a passionate enough fan base that, as far as I know, this is the first truly dedicated FPGA system for a specific Pre-NES? Pre-NES, oh system. sure. I think so. I mean there's plenty of um, I think Chemtress has developed cores. Yeah, oh there's but cores for all those you know, nothing has come out you know specifically like this. And this isn't Chemtress, by the way, I think. This is I think it's Brian on here. I think that's yes. the guy's doing it. Okay. So, anyways, yeah, I, I I like that. I think it's it's cool that there's a passion enough a fan base for the system though that they're doing it.
0: But but uh, 218 for this Kickstarter hit its goal, Pat math, you need that math is not very good math. What twelve hundred people take to back this at two hundred dollars each, right? Is that about right? Was the calculator on? But let's just say twelve hundred people, and so that's six times the amount of people that are currently backing it. So that's tough. I think you need some heavy promotion for people to be aware of this. But I don't know how you find those people that would maybe, maybe the people that bought the ColecoVision you know, all in ones that came out like you know what, eight nine years ago. Maybe some people like that would still be interested, but that's. But they bought that all in one. They might be satisfied by it. You know what I mean? So, what audience is there for this besides this 218 people? We'll see. Like I said, this should exist in a form that we could buy. But it, again, it comes down to the size of the market. Like, what if I did a Fairchild Channel F at PGA? It'd be awesome. Ian might buy it, but you might have 20 people in the back. So just what are the size of these I think orders? you're comparing apples and bowling balls, huh? Well, I'm just telling you, though. That, it's just the scale degree, though. So this is not fair, child. It's one up from that. But that's not enough for a Kickstarter, though. That's what I'm saying. I'll scratch you again. And see. And we're back in the saddle again. We are back in time. Great points made about the, uh, the uh, Kickstarter. There's a couple more weeks left. Check it out. Pat, you yeah. look especially handsome there. Oh, I Did I? Yeah. It was good. Okay. All right, so we are proud to be partnering with our pals at Dollar Shave Club. From showering to brushing your teeth, and yes, shaving, of course, we all have our everyday grooming routines. When I get up, Ian, I'll shave, I'll brush my teeth even before I eat, sometimes it's a little bit funky in there. What do you do when you when you wake up? I do not shave. However, I do shower. And I can
1: make use of Dollar Shave Club's excellent shower products. Their new shower kit comes with trial sizes of their Citrus and Hawaiian Ginger Face Wash, Ooh. their calming, calming Lavender and Amber Body Wash, and their Sage and Black Pepper Shampoo. Personally, I've really always enjoyed the Calming Amber and Lavender Body Wash. It's well, it is actually
0: relaxing in the morning yeah.
1: and calming, and it smells great. kind of braces me and gets me ready
0: for the day. No matter your routine, Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to help you look, feel, and smell your best. There's shower products, oral care products, hair products, skin products, even, even those butt wipes, and obviously shaving uh, products. I, I shaved this morning, Ian. I did. You, you look uh, baby yeah, fresh. Yeah, and this is uh, the the best shaving material that ever. Their shave butter, butter, the Dr. Carver shave butter, it's the smoothest shave I ever had. No joke. Better than regular shaving cream. And with the razor, it's a good combination, the executive razor. So right now, uh, they're offering their shave, shower, and oral care starter sets for just five bucks each. Ian was sent their shower starter set. This is the shave set with the, the shave butter. And of course, their world famous executive razor, which is also good for on the go uh, there. So yeah, uh, they keep you stocked up on your products. so You don't have to run out and you can choose your delivery delivery frequency. So you get what you need, how often you need it. The best part is, the more you buy, the more you save. They call it their handsome discount. Join the club with one of their star sets for just five dollars. After that, the restock box ships regular sized products at a regular price. But get the exclusive five dollar deal right now at DollarShaveClub.com/slash-cu-podcast. That's DollarShaveClub.com/slash-cu-podcast. And seriously, try out the shea butter. It's smooth. It's silky no burn on me here. It's great. Ian, Pat We uh we got the press release for the At Games Blast little all-in-one controllers. Uh at least I, I get I get the press releases for all this stuff. I'm on the At Games uh, mailer list somehow, even though I've never owned an At Games device or said anything kind about At Games on the podcast typically the past, you know, 5 years we've been doing this. Not but
1: want to say nice about them. That's
0: but they they have this run now of they have a, a bunch of new uh, all-in-one little consoles with a bunch of different games just like the retro bit generation stuff like that where it's a mishmash of you know data east and and, and, and namco games and things like that it made some capcom games running but what caught my eye in particular were the, the the all-in-one blast little controllers that you hook up to a tv yes with built-in games and it basically looks like a six button genesis controller so the six-button Genesis controller
1: plug-and-plays have been around for a very long time. Um, this, uh, 15, 20 years almost? Yeah. Like? At least. Early I mean, 2000s? I, I remember like going over to a friend's house before I moved to uh, San Diego and there being like one of the NHL uh, ones that was in a had, like, NHL 93, 94, 95. Oh, my like, God. God. That's the Genesis version. That's right. That. Yeah. Late 90s, early 2000s? Yeah. So, um, you know, this 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 form factor has existed for quite some time. And they've been in the joysticks before that, but but the actual Genesis yeah. knockoff controller yeah, yeah. shell. So, um, so these Bandai Namco flashback... Um, Controllers. Blasts! Blasts were flashback initially flashback. billed as... Um, basically having the... Uh, They were shown to have the arcade versions of eight popular Namco games on them, um, including uh, Dig Dug, Pac-Man, Galaga, I believe Miss Pac-Man was on there, and they used the arcade gameplay box shots on all of them and, uh, you know, they were trying to get people to, um, you know, review them and cover them. So, um, At Games had sent one out to someone to review, and actually it's, uh, uh my friend and yours, uh, the immortal John Hancock, uh, who's a fantastically friendly guy, and, um, he had uh, reviewed one and gave it a generally decent review, and that one did have the actual arcade ROMs on it. um, When the uh, product was released in stores and people went to buy it, um, the boxes and packaging still had all of the arcade uh, screenshots and stuff on the outside. However, when people were buying them, they found that they had the Nintendo Entertainment System ROMs.
0: Versions. Well the Walmart one was the exclusive because you got Pac Mania on it as uh, well. Okay. So it was a different slightly different ROM set. So you went to, you truck out the Walmart to play that that stellar game from the Pac Man series, Pac Mania. Uh which there's a charm to it but it's not really one of the highlights of the of the series. It's not amazing.
1: However um and uh yes you basically it was uh it was a dupe. Um and uh, that of course there's no fault to uh, john hancock um in that at all um so that makes me very angry at at games for a couple of reasons one um you uh are being shitty and shady to your customers and two um that's that has the potential to uh hurt someone's credibility because uh people don't do the necessary research or look into it. Uh, they may think someone is uh, recommending something or giving a good review to something um you know and it's two entirely different models, two entirely different make and models.
0: Yeah. And and they have other ones they they have the Legends Flashback which has uh Space Invaders and Burger Time on it. Then they they have they're putting out a bunch of these cuz they're easy to do. They have an Atari one which has uh, you know the Atari games on there. The uh, two different versions with guitars, even though they can fit a thousand Atari games into one little controller. So these are between what twenty and thirty bucks. The thirty bucks on online at GameStop. Uh, they're probably a little cheaper at Walmart because they undercut everyone. So, Act Games, we know has a terrible history of shoddy products to begin with. Yep. So well, you think at some point they would get it together? You know they've dropped the ball continually, even with the, the last. Uh, the Genesis flashback that came out a year or two ago, right? Oh, yeah. So much so that now Sega themselves aren't using at games for their future Genesis Mini. They Originally they, they announced it and, they, and then it was quickly changed that they're not using them because Sega wants to cash in on the popularity of obviously the NES Classic and do like a, a proper, uh, I guess, Genesis Classic, that. but they don't trust I guess what AtGames has been doing. So my my question of questions is just why would you ever even use NES ROMs when the arcade ones are available? In what world would you think that's a proper idea to do that? I don't
1: know. But um, I, I have no idea. But what makes the matters worse is how uh, AtGames replied. I mean, did you read about it? So this is crazy. So um, after people called them out on it, this is how it goes. AtGames responds as fans of retro games were asking for an explanation. The early review version could not make it to production, even though it was anticipated it would. They did not elaborate on why. That's uh, Then they continued. Next tweets. You never heard of companies multi-tracking product development? There have never been changes from earlier versions of products versus the oh, retail Jesus. release? It wrote to one user. So you're saying we custom-made a special product in hopes of deceiving people because we thought no one would notice a difference like that? Oh, Jesus. I'm not sure I'm seeing how that makes sense versus the reality of a production change. You clearly don't wish to discuss things reasonably and don't wish for the company to help with whatever issue you might have, so I guess you'll just continue making one-sided accusations. So that was in
0: response to the, the big video... MLPs. Uh, uh, that was uh, Mad Little Pixel, yeah. who, who picked up the Walmart version with the... So
1: it says in a later version it'll replace the home console versions with arcade versions, but then in the process At Games Twitter started blocking a bunch of people, including another YouTube reviewer um, what was that? said that they were only blocking people who had crossed the line into harassment I'm sure there were some people who were being harassing but then they clarified that um, the, but then they clarified that a uh, harassment was repeated use of the word scam and
0: other words like it is it a scam if if it's false advertising putting arcade ROMs on a box? I, I, I think the marketing department probably doesn't know what the production team is doing. You I, know what I mean? They just said, make us a box. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't put that on whoever actually was in Photoshop designing the box. You know, they don't know that there's two different sets of ROMs. I'm sure there's people in the company that found out, they were bewildered that they used two separate sets of ROMs for, for the same product. Like, I'm sure the there
1: was... I'm sure there was at least four different sets of massive miscommunication, but that's the problem though. But it does not, it does not, it does not excuse what happened. Like I said, there are people's reputations on the line here. Where is the quality
0: control? Before this shipped out, no one got one of these at, at at Games and said, what the fuck? Why are these not the arcade ROMs? Shut it down. Maybe because no one
1: knows that. And maybe no one at Act Games really realizes this shit. I mean, Or cares. We, we have to realize that at some point, the people... I mean, it's very true. The people who sell us
0: this shit don't care about the shit they're selling. And that's the problem. And that's why Act Games has a reputation they have, obviously. Yes. The quality has never been really at the forefront.
1: So it doesn't make sense for them to be purposely deceitful. It wouldn't no. have cost them less money. I mean, they don't want this sort of backlash. But it's
0: very apparent they just don't give a fuck they don't care because they know it's going to go into Walmart people are going to say oh it's 20 bucks I'm going to pick it up and 95% of people are going to get it and not realize or care that it's the NES ROMs of these games instead of the superior and proper and, arcade and ROMs. the
1: people who do care are going to go well fuck that sucks and then they're going to go well maybe I'll complain and then two days later the $20 trinket is going to be in a bin and they're never going to think about it again and never plug it in again and then they're going to try to sell it at Luna Video Games and then I'm going to say no I'm sorry I can't buy it and then they're going to put it in the free bin, and someone's going to pick it up, and then that person will sell it at flea market later. For five dollars. And then they'll get picked up and thrown in a dumpster where it eventually belongs. <laughs> and that is the life cycle of the At
0: Games product. Right? It is. It absolutely is. That is like the... That is the... That's how it goes. I mean, I hear that some people are somewhat impressed with some of the later Genesis ones, but I guess that's just... The bar so low. Gotta love a good game of yawning triceratops. <laughs> <laughs> triceratops. So, um... Yeah, so, yeah, I don't... Again, I don't know if it was uh, direct deception uh, overtly, like, we're going to get those customers. There's no reason for it to be direct deception. No, there's not. But it's even almost worse than that. It's just incompetence not knowing what's going in your products. It's just not caring. There's no reason that you'll say, okay, on this run for the Walmart, we're going to use... We're going to drag and drop whatever product. Use the NES ROM versus the non-Walmart. Use the arcade ROM and a different emulator inside. Like, why would there be two sets of, of... of internal it software. It almost seems like it would be harder. It would be hu- yes. Thank you, Ian. It makes your life harder to do that. It's almost as if two different entire teams were working on a product that is ninety nine percent the same, except for the swap out of Pac Mania, ROM. Like there was none of it makes sense. At Games, get your shit together. Is what I'm going to say. Just this shouldn't happen. It's an embarrassment. It's Fucking an absolute It's embarrassing No it is embarrassing I'm just quoting a show Oh But it isn't it embarrassing It is It's embarrassing For I'm, this to happen I'm embarrassed Now I need a trash can To kick across the room They'll kick my punch out One over there Yeah or Super Mario Brothers The one that I threw all the Rare Sega Saturn games In, in the Wall Street Kid video I like that video Alright all right. Uh, Ian so Speaking of Luna Video Games Two locations Chula Vista and El Cajon or, Thank you. Uh, There's an independent game 11 to 8 Monday through Saturday And noon to 5 on Sunday To celebrate 10 years 15. Oh, 15. Excuse me. 15. Ian celebrated 10 years. There. 12. Wow. Yeah, been around for a while. Almost a bigger dozen. All right, Ian. So What's wh- up? <laughs> What's going on, Red buddy? Dead Redemption 2 is coming out. And uh, there's an article that came out that you wanted to lead, lead the way on here about independent games. were told they won't get it until November. So least, was that like a week and a half after it comes out everywhere else? October 26th. It comes out in a few days. So about a week. So originally when I
1: saw the headline of the article before reading it. Um, For weeding it? Before reading it. Shut up. <laughs>
0: I said weeding it.
1: Hello. Um, independent game shops told they won't get Red Dead Redemption till November. Yeah, I didn't like that headline much. Uh, and I I'd normally very much uh, like uh, this writer's writing. Um, but independent game shops told they won't get Red Dead Redemption until November 2nd. First, I thought that was like a blanket statement. You will be getting this By our decree, you will be getting this game. From up high, Rockstar. We have decided that you will not be getting this game until one week after the release date because this is a you know, this is a policy now. I mean, am I wrong? Does that
0: seem does that seem like the From the headline, yes. That's what it seems like. That's what it seems like. Okay, that's not it. Independent Game Shop's told they won't get Red Dead Redemption 2 until November.
1: That's not it. When you read into the article a little bit, it says that basically They're being told that because of how it's being shipped and all that, that there will likely be a delay on their copies coming in. This sucks. This does suck, and that's awful. And I'm going to get into why. Um, At Luna Video Games, we used to get in new copies of new games. Okay, Um, we would take pre-orders. We would call up our distributors. We would order in basically just enough for what we had for pre-orders, and then maybe you know a few extra copies. As time went on, we would order less and less. Basically, with um, as digital became a more viable option, um, especially on the West Coast, um, on the West Coast with like PlayStation, Xbox One, or an Xbox, you can do your pre-orders, and they will actually come out at 9 p.m. the day before. Because it launches at midnight on the East Coast. So a lot of people would do the digital if they really wanted it. They'd get it three hours early. They wouldn't have to wait in line at a midnight launch. There was no reason to wait for Luna to get their copies at noon the next day. Okay? Sure. So we started to see less and less need to pre-order in these new copies. So then... I think probably because of street dates and things like that, instead of getting games in like two days early or a day early, we started getting them like online at like noon or one the day of release. This made people who wanted to play games very antsy. Some people would start to cancel pre-orders. They would literally not want to wait the extra two hours, they might have taken the day off. They would cancel their pre-order. They would go gut it at GameStop or something like that. If we didn't have it at, you know, open, you know, if we're like, well, our UPS truck is getting here at two. Um. Anyways, um, that's you know, uh, they would cancel the pre-order. So eventually, the games would start coming a day, two days late. Sure, this is three, four days ago, and or three, four years ago, and it just started happening all the time. I, and I know that, you know, you could find... We would find new distributors that would be able to get us our games on time. Um, but the only way to really guarantee that was to order a ton of copies of them. Sure. And then you would have to really put in an advertising blitz to get all these copies sold. And you'd start finding that your take from getting these games wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth all of this hassle. So years ago, Luna just said, screw it. We're not ordering in this new shit anymore. And I think a lot of independent stores back then realized, well, this is where we have to decide. Are we going to put the effort into selling these new games, or are we just going to wait for the used copies to come in a week or two later? Because they really do. So, so th- we be, get let- to this. Let's be clear here. This isn't Rockstar controlling their supply. Exactly. It's a regional suppliers, right? This is regional supply. Well, it's it's... It's how Rockstar ships them out, but Rockstar's not telling companies that they... Rockstar's not telling independent game stores that you have to wait wait one week because of a special thing that we're doing. This is just regional distributors and things like that and how the industry works. Now independent game stores just don't get anything on time.
0: So, And that's just because, obviously, the first stock's going to go to the biggest customers. Walmart, big box stores, they're going to go to GameStop to make sure they get their stuff on time. So either there's not enough stock to go around, or just isn't time to deliver to all the independent right. little shops outside of the big-made shops. And it sucks. It, it sucks. It, it's, it's awful.
1: But this is something that is... Known and has been known for a while, so I take some issue with some things in this article. Okay, and it's not really what's written; it's what this guy says because it's someone interviewed me. Yeah, the person who okay. was interviewed because it's. I feel like this is this article is a bit sensationalist, and it's um, it was done, I, I it was done around red. So, okay, this gentleman says he spent over 3300 adorning a small local chain of Pennsylvania video game stores with billboards, flyers, posters, and other displays. Another article, I'm pretty sure it was just 3300 for the billboard alone. Anticipating the Western Adventure game, you know, Rockstar pre-ordering two years ago. His customers began pre-ordering two years ago. They started spending all this money on it. Okay, two years ago should have been—I mean, well, long enough, uh, long enough ago to know that you know these. I mean, that's risky. That's just a business yeah. risk. This is a business that—that's a business risk that we're taking in this day and age. I, especially, I'm not trying to especially sound like
0: on an item that the margin isn't that right. big for what you talked about right. with me. Right? Yes, exactly. It's not big at all. Like a
1: few dollars per game, anywhere from three to six, three to eight, depending on the game. Okay, so we're gonna get we'll get to that. Let's do some Ian math on this. So we're doing three thousand three hundred on that, and down here he says that. So between between his four stores, he predicts his customers would have purchased more than one thousand copies. He said. Okay. So okay, 1, 60, Pat, sixty times 60000 dollars in lost sales is what he's saying. Well, that, but, but, but that's gross not, sales. But that's, that's not right. So if he's Gonna make, let's say, five dollars per sale, five thousand per okay. sale. Well, He's only making one thousand five hundred dollars in profit on a two-year-long gamble.
0: So, okay, let's let's back up. We'll just say
1: he sells it for sixty dollars. He, he spent three thousand five hundred on advertising. Okay, he has to put in about. Fifty-five thousand dollars to buy
0: the games. Well, okay, we'll just start at the profit per game. We'll just say it's five dollars per game, which could be high. It's five dollars. Let's just say it's five dollars. You sell thousand copies. That's fi- you start at five thousand dollars, right? You don't. You don't. You're not taking account the thirty-five hundred dollars for the sign, right? You start at five thousand. You make
1: start at five thousand dollars profit. Subtract so okay. three thousand five hundred. Best case. I mean, average. And Then, you, and then you
0: put in. Um. What else do you, you got to put in that? Any other overhead that might be involved yes. in, in this venture over the years? There You're making $1,500. At most. Yeah, at most. For, for a two-year uh, gamble. That's yes. awful business practice. It's terrible.
1: So, I... Look, I know the big businesses are not small businesses' best friends but that's you just you're just saying be smarter about I'm this. Just, just saying small be smart. smarter. Yeah. I don't I wish we we tried forever to try to find a good way to work with distributors to get a reasonable amount of new copies and of games to work with our customer base. I know some independent video game stores do it because they have a larger base for newer games. Our customer base is almost entirely—they buy the newer games, uh, but they want them used. We, the, our big spenders, buy the retro stuff. That's just—it's—it's—it's it's a problem worth—it's a problem worth complaining about and addressing. But this is
0: not the way. I—I'm. I, this is—I'll tell you why. I'm listen. sorry. I don't feel so bad about this. The author is Cecilia Denevstasio. I'll tell you why she did a bad job here. Is Whoa. because. The people... What's that? I said, whoa. <laughs> okay. This is why it's a bad job. Yeah. This is why it's more sensational than it should be. Because when you print something that says... A guy says $60,000 in lost sales... Yeah, you got it. The f- author has to try that. to follow yes, up and say... Exactly. What does that actually mean? Mm. And the author has to then clarify that that's gross sales yes. and not profit. No, th- that's true. Because when that goes unchecked, people in the comments are like, This guy's getting he's fucked out of $60,000. No, no, he's not. He's getting fucked to, out of a few thousand dollars at, at most. most. Right. And most game shops wouldn't sell a 1000 like if Luna sold, say Luna sells fifty or hundred, something like that. We would order in like thirty. Thirty. So you lost hundred and fifty dollars of profit. You didn't lose eighteen hundred dollars. Yes. Exactly. So that's why it's a bad article. Sorry, Julia. No, it no I mean you, have, that, to, that, you, the, you yes. have to be better about that.
1: Because people in comments are like, this is bullshit. This yeah. is fucked up. But you're absolutely right. Yeah. That that is where
0: the it came through. Like it had to be this this entire rant is unchecked. Yeah, we're not, we're not saying this is a good thing that these, these stores don't get on time, but it's just the reality of the situation. It's yes. been like this forever. It's, it's been like this forever, and
1: this has been a problem forever, and it's weird what? that it's just being blown up now with this. And really, it just reads like someone who's sour about something that happens in business sure. all the time that we've all had to deal with, and it was a bad
0: gamble. What do you think about this quote from Daniel Maston, who runs video games in New York, who I m- I've met at conventions? Said there might be some fear around local stores breaking Street Date. They want a distribution chain they control. Mastin theorized. Do you think there's anything to that? you think some? I do. You think there's some stores that yes, have screwed I, no, over everyone else? Absolutely, I do.
1: I do. I think there's some stores that have. I don't, and I'm not. I'm not saying this with a wink and a nudge. I do not know the stores that do it in LA, but I know that there are stores in LA that do it, and it had. Um, because I mean the closeness on the coast so I mean people could get games pretty early in LA and it did I mean that sort of thing has ruined shit for
0: people because then GameStop will say what the fuck get them in line because now they're hurting ourselves and we're the big dogs. And so they'll say, okay, well, then they ruin it for all these smaller mom-pop Yes, jobs. that
1: sort of stuff does ruin it. Um, you know, Breaking Street Date does have a fucking price to pay. Yes. And over the years, especially with, pir- you know, advanced piracy and digital distribution and uploads and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've worked at Luna for, like I said, 12 years now. And I remember we used to be able to get games in. We'd have the box sitting, you know, there for three, four days sometimes, and, you know, we stopped because we'd start getting our boxes two days late because they wouldn't ship them out sometimes
0: until day of. Here's the good news, everyone. In 10 years, everyone will be buying these games digitally anyway. So, I mean... Yeah, these gigantic games. What was I here now? You you can pre-install the game even before, and then the the date comes out. You don't have to wait like the hour to install it or two hours. Yeah, and you just get the code. It'll you, download
1: you most of it, and then it'll like download like the final chunk, like uh, the final like five hundred megabytes yeah. a patch, and
0: then unlock it. I've done it before, and there you go. Yeah. So, so don't worry about it GameStop won't be able to sell the, <laughs> the future much longer either it's just the reality of the situation which is we might be covering this topic somewhat in a little documentary coming out next year so that's it so um, yeah so it's not the end of the world I mean it's not good but it's also not putting these mom and pops out of business because no, they, they've been profiting off this in a, for a while anyway.
1: it's, I was going to say that's the thing it, this is nothing new if this was going to put mom and pops out of business it would have done it five, six, seven years ago sure. you just have to evolve your business
0: Okay. All right. Uh, we're going to talk about a little Netflix thing here that, I don't know, we were halfway into this topic before. I figured this is interesting. So, the Netflix um, Marvel series of uh, the Defenders, folks, it started with Daredevil, you got Luke Cage, you got Jessica Jones, you got Iron Fist, and they did the Defenders. Um, and then you had the Punisher, too. I was talking about the Punisher series, which was good. Very violent, by the way. Oh, Disney only does the uh, softcore stuff. No, Punisher was fucking violent. You see that? Yeah, Seriously, I did. I watched Good it. series, but very fun. Anyway, so they've come out to mostly good reviews. I think the, the worst of them was probably the first series of Iron Fist. Uh, then again, I wasn't a huge Jessica Jones fan. I fell asleep during the ep- episodes of Jessica Jones Season 2, so I said, okay, this isn't for me. But they, they've been good, though. Finally, production values are good, whatever. They've done okay. Um, but now they canceled the Season 3s, of Iron Fist and Luke Cage within a, like a, a couple of weeks after the, the you know Iron Fist season 2 came out which was better than season 1 by the way. But season 1 was a disaster. I'm not watching either. either. Um <laughs> and then Luke Cage were both good seasons. I enjoyed season 2 of Luke Cage more than season 1 because of the mix up in the villain after the f- first half of, first half of Luke Cage season 1 was really good. The second half fell off a cliff to me. But they're I really both need, good I series.
1: really need to see season 2 of Luke Cage. I love season 1 it was of good. Luke
0: Cage. Yeah. It was good, but the second half of, even with the second half of season one was not the best. Only
1: in one. retrospect to me yeah. did that happen, but during while I was watching it, it didn't bother me. But in retrospect, yes, the first villain in season one was so good that Diamondback, Diamond, uh, Di- no, Cottonmouth,
0: Cottonmouth versus Diamondback, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, so much better. An actress, was, anyway. So uh, they're canceling now these these Marvel shows, which has not happened before. It's only happened on network uh, TV um, uh, before with Agent Carter. My love Haley Atwell getting screwed out of a season three when they left on a cliffhanger season two. That was on ABC though. Um, I'm surprised they didn't bring that to Netflix. But anyway, so um, their decision came October 20th to be a a deadline um, and people were wondering what's going on because it's not clear uh, that if this means that these are gone for good now or if Disney's streaming service coming out next year is going to pick them up because season, both seasons ended on a cliffhanger. Iron Fist season two ends on a cliffhanger. I won't spoil it for Ian in case you ever watch it. And Luke Cage season two basically ends with Luke Cage being in the position of power, like he's like now becoming like a gangster. He's coming what he was fighting against. The, this shot ending was a direct homage to the end of The Godfather, mm. pulling back. Wondering, looking what's going on in the door's closed. That was the end of Godfather. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a guy that didn't want to become what he hated, and he's become what he's trying to avoid. So, some v- very interesting things going on with these series. And so, I don't know how ratings work on Netflix. I don't know how they, they weigh the pros and cons. I mean, South Park did the episode last year where they approve every show that comes out on Netflix. And okay, you're approved. Like, <laughs> like, this, like this, rubber, they rubber stamp anything as on Netflix. So, um, you would hope that this. Would mean again that Disney picks these up and does it themselves instead of ha- going through Netflix, you know. So, uh, according to this initial report regarding the cancellation of Luke Cage, behind-the-scenes tension between the show's creative team, uh, Netflix and Marvel, and Marvel prompted the sudden decision to end the series. According to the report, the pink slipping of Luke Cage was ultimately a combo of the age-old Hollywood creative differences and the inability for the for the parties involved to reach a deal on how to move forward. According to sources, so it's it's a bummer. Uh, especially because it's going to be weird because like they're doing another Punisher series Daredevil season 3 just came out and I gotta watch it I have to watch it I
1: mean I really did not care much for season 2 of Daredevil I liked it Um, the last like 4 episodes were pretty decent Uh, I thought it was a good continuation the Punisher stuff was good early on Punisher stuff was okay and I liked the um, the D'Onofrio stuff as Fisk the reason I want to watch Daredevil season 3 is because Adtonafrio's uh, Fisk is back and I I can't think it's hard for me to think of a uh, represent- representation of a villain in recent memory that's is well Done as D'Onofrio's representation of Kingpin. It's just so fucking good.
0: It's very nuanced. There's a lot of backstory stuff that you wouldn't expect that wasn't from the comics. You know, it's like, oh, they added to this pretty well. They did a good job. D'Onofrio's
1: D'Onofrio. Really. He's one of my favorite fucking actors. Yes. He's kind of like a sleeper. Like, not, there's not a ton of people who love him, but like people who love D'Onofrio... Well, he has bit a lot of high-profile stuff. He's always you yeah. Know, he's sort of that guy that oh, he filled out this role pretty well. You he, know, he's he's my guy. I mean, even in like the shittier movie. Well, not not
0: the shitty movie but even in the last Snow movies like in the cell he made the cell watchable oh I, just, I didn't see that he shows up He shows up in the breakup as Vince Vaughn's brother and he only has a few scenes but he's trying to do something as a peculiar brother characters like he could have just phoned it in if he wanted to no, but he, he didn't never do, he, he never, didn't phone he never phones anything in he's he, great he, you could tell he like he put a character like, a study behind this character that has, like, maybe 20 lines the whole film. Yes. And he He did... Because I I just noticed that. I'm like, this character is, like, peculiar, and I can tell there's something here. Yep. He's, like, awkwardly existing with his brother. I'm like, there's something here, but... This is I'm watching a dumb comedy with Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston. Bless like, you, Vincent. D'Onofrio. Yeah, Bless you, Vincent. D'Onofrio. I would. people would, people would say they'd love to see D'Onofrio's Kingpin with Tom Holland's Spider Man. Like that would be an awesome thing to see. I'd, I'd melt into a puddle. I'd, just, <laughs> I'd lose. Uh, it. Let's put it this way. Uh, I, 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 not that I don't want to see Mysterio on the big screen, but it's come on. It's Mysterio. I mean, I, I guess you can make it interesting, but it's Mysterio. Just please give me DiCaprio. But Kingpin. um. But anyways. of course, though Ian, Luke Cage and Iron Fist are buddies in the comic.
1: They yes. team up at and some that's, point. That's, so that's initially what I thought. See, I haven't seen either um, season two uh, of either of those yet, and someone had told me, apparently erroneously, that um, it that either it, in the story or what they had heard was, and what I had always thought was going to happen personally, that eventually Luke Cage and um, Luke Cage and Iron Fist were going to you know meet up. Because it's what happens. I mean, that's just their buddies in comics. It always happens. Maybe that's what was going to happen in each of their season threes. I don't know. But when I don't know. But however, when Iron Fist got canceled, in the back of my head, I said, "Well, there goes Luke Cage." I have no idea if that's why. Obviously, it doesn't seem like it is. Iron Fist did poorly all around. I, I, it makes sense to me that Iron Fist got canceled. This is saying creative differences, so it's very obvious that it could just be two separate reasonings for them both getting canceled, but it did seem, I mean, to me, it seem, it, it just made sense oh. also that Luke Cage was getting canceled because Iron Fist got canceled. The
0: relationship is going to get weird between uh, Netflix and, and uh, Disney slash Marvel just because, you know, it, it seems like season three of Daredevil is getting rave reviews, so they're going to try to probably keep it there Netflix, depending on how Good. the deal structured. Uh-huh. Uh, then Punisher is probably going to do well, and Jessica Jones, I think, is, is filming now the, the season three. Um, you might have, now have this shift about it's almost like the relationship between Sony and, and, and Disney now with sharing Spider Man, you might have to share these TV characters, if not right. which is going to be weird because you can't have like Defender season two now without bringing back Luke Cage and, and Iron Man. You know, you can't do it. I will say this. You will be happy to know that in Luke Cage season two, there is an episode with D- that Danny shows up. Iron Fist. It is the best version of him goes out. Like <laughs> if, if they wrote him like in the Iron Fist series, it wouldn't have been as as shit. Upon like, I'm not the biggest Iron Fist fan, that even I know that the character was awful in season one. He's better in season two, right? But they couldn't rec- they couldn't change the character enough to recover. They they couldn't like re- like one eighty the character. Yeah. for being the, the, the whiny sniveling out of touch character asshole. in season 1. So yeah, like that that to me was a weird decision and maybe that maybe that was more of a Netflix thing than than Marvel. I cuz I didn't when, I, I, when, it I, has when, to, when I first watched that season 1, I was watching this scene. I can't imagine uh, cuz M- Marvel with their movies has been they've been pretty faithful to how these characters with their origins where they come from yes. and how they act. When I saw Iron Fist, I was like Scratch my head, like this is a strange, like deviant deviance from the character that had to be purposeful. That like you have to make a decision that we want this to be written differently. Like we want the we want this to be different than what people are used to for whatever reason. I Maybe mean, they make jokes about him, it's like "Oh, you're just some some rich white boy. You don't know what's going on." They make him look stupid and defenders and. Oh if, yeah. If I was the best huge... part
1: about Defenders was the fact that he wasn't in it for really any of it. Like he was the he was the person. He was the McGuffin. Yeah. I I mean, so for people who are are newer to the podcast, um Iron Fist is one of my favorite Marvel characters. Like mm-hmm. very much top of the line. I think some uh you know the um the Matt Fraction Dave Asia run of uh Iron Fist um uh, is it the last Iron Fist and 7 Seven Cities of Heaven or something like that. I, yeah, those, those two, those two arcs are just fucking phenomenal. They're gorgeous. They're amazingly well written. They're great stories. Um, but and there's other stuff too. Iron Fist is a really fun character to read. That can be funny. They can take them kind of seriously. They mm-hmm. can be. It, it's great stuff. Um, and the reason why I won't watch the Marvel ones is because just immediately people were like, "What the fuck? What the fuck?" And then I read a little bit about it, and it's like. Yeah people always say oh let's just watch it. No. I've never had one single person and absolutely never one Iron Fist fan ever tell me that it was ever worth
0: a shot. Yeah, even the even the uh, the, the 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 martial arts scenes are choreographed better in Season 2. They they got rid of the writing team and the the the, the fight choreography team for season one. They, they got rid of everyone. Okay, because I heard yeah. the fight choreography was miserable too, and I was like, I was so looking forward
1: to it. I'm like, the f- action's gonna be great. It's gonna be funny. It's gonna be... No. I heard it was sad, depressing, whiny, and the fighting sucked. And there was very little of it. Part of
0: it, uh, Finn Jones... Mm, yeah, sorry, guy. What Wasn't a trained martial artist. You can tell kind of Ralph Macchio-esque where it's like, yeah, he's going through punch motions, but he hasn't been training for a while. Like, it takes you years to really know how to look, you know, like, like a real martial artist. Like, even when I watch, I can't watch even The Matrix with... with you know, watching Neo throw those punches and kicks I'm like, he doesn't look like he actually Knows what he's doing But anyway, so it, it's a shame But watch, watch season 2 of Blue Caves Because when Iron Fist shows up, you would be like Oh, okay, these, this isn't the shittiest version of What him. could have been? I mean, let's yes. just cry, dude I mean, maybe I don't need to see that Well, but maybe maybe you'll see Disney on the streaming service You'll pay nine 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 99 a month to see that Heroes for Hire because there's something there, there the, the chemistry between the two actors was there in the limited amount of time we see that sure. but I think the writing for some reason Hamstrung either they were ashamed of his character it's almost like they were ashamed to, to write him this day and age like well it's a, like a whitewash thing or there was something behind the scenes that they did not want to write him like the comics and it's, it's so apparent like they, they just shifted it away from what it was and just fucking run with run with the concept it's there people like it for a reason don't shy away from it lean into it and there was other cool characters in the show too, Misty and and uh, what, what's her name who who might have gotten a power at the end of season two? Spoilers, you know. So anyway, so uh, moving on. Uh, so there's another huge uh, eBay auction game store listing. We're oh, we are,
1: okay, we are covering this
0: one. We don't. Have, we're running out of topics. <laughs> so it's one hundred fifty thousand dollars or best offer, of course from some some woman is this not, is that that familiar name is we did you cover this before yes we did cover this one it's just still up there is it's
1: it still up there yeah i think this is just because yeah it is this is uh, she this is just the finalized i'm looking now this is the finalized lot remember when we w- looked at it the first time she was still gathering everything oh together. yeah a few she months ago she was still ago? gathering everything together at that point she had only had like all the
0: systems and stuff this picture is like still the same okay so this isn't going to be a real topic <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> damn it we don't have a scumbag seller of the week unless you can think of one right now no it's on at games no all right at uh, games. <laughs> this is the scumbag seller of the week yep, yep. sorry uh, unfortunately we did do this all right uh patreon poll q and ian how do you how do you access the C U podcast patreon and what do you get with there, uh you okay
1: so you go on the world wide web and you surf on over to patreon.com so you, slash, you, you open up your internet
0: explorer and escape navigator Netscape preferably you go into the url bar http colon slash 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 www dot
1: patreon.com
0: slash fuck
1: see you pot Oh, <laughs> WWW. Shut up, Pat. WWW.Patreon.com slash CU Podcast. Uh, <laughs> and that'll take you to our uh, our Patreon page where um, you can kindly give us uh, some money in exchange for services. Um, <laughs>
0: Wait a minute, that's not how Patreon works. It's not an exchange. It's. <laughs> They're patron of the arts. That's the, 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 oh, this isn't a, a cash transaction? I thought it was for a
1: quick dry handy. Uh, anyways, <laughs> they're not giving us money for stuff. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, Anyway, so go to the Patreon.com slash CU Podcast, and there, uh, if you uh, would wish to support us, if you'd like to support us, um, you know, we have various tiers. A dollar a month uh, gets you access to my writings, which I'll be doing one this week, going in deeper into uh, the Portland Retro Gaming Weekend I just had. Um, You can also uh, get access to the full video podcast. You can. uh, and all awkwardness. uh Uh-huh. And uh, you also get access to uh,
0: a uh, poll topic, uh, uh, a pipe yes, poll. Yes, Ian. A poll. So th- so in third place, uh, if you can do a one-room mini arcade, what handful of games and pinball machines would go on it? I think that was getting retired. <laughs> For now. We tried it. Uh, second place, at 28%, is there an immaturity attached with young adults who become wealthy solely off of social media? Number one with a bullet, 51% what high-priced retro games are most likely to crash in price in the future ian we'll start with you um
1: i think a lot of them will be uh the ones that are high-priced but not particularly fun to play um are
0: are we talking specific titles or are we going for systems in general i i would start with specific high-priced titles but then maybe go system by system but you know, we talked in the past about how we don't think Turbo graphics will go down that much because of, uh, there isn't a lot of them out there. Yeah, I don't think I don't think
1: Turbo is going to drop significantly. I think we're going to see a lot of fluctuation in the coming five years. I don't think it's going to happen as quick as Pat does, but I do agree with him. I think Nintendo games in general we're going to start seeing uh, dropping prices on. Um, I think the ones that we're going to see prices drop on the quickest are going to be games like Little Samson that. Um, You know, uh, those are the types of titles that, for instance, at Portland Retro Gaming, I don't see uh, moving on the show floor. You know, I do see those in the cases. I I think I see. I saw one case that had uh, like two or three of them. In a case, Uh-huh. and those aren't moving. And also, by the way, that's a really bad sales tactic. If you have, oh you if don't you want to have multiple, or something, if you have multiple no. very rare games no, 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 no. and you're putting high price tags on them, no. do not put three of them in there. No, because, you put one in there yes. because then people are going to know that it's not worth eight hundred and fifty dollars or whatever you put. I don't know what. Price I'm sorry, I missed what it. game you are talking about. Are you talking about Little Samson. Little Samson, of course. You don't the game du jour. Yeah, what you is? you don't put. It immediately makes whatever high price tag you see on there look absolutely phony and unreasonable. It's not because as you rare have, as you think. Because you have three copies of it. So I do think, uh, I've always thought that Little Samson will absolutely be one that goes down in value very quickly. Oh, yes. Uh, like, I think, honestly, I think that's probably going to be one of the first and biggest hit ones. As soon as we talked about this question last night, that was my answer. I think Little Samson is going to, It's not going to become cheap, but that one is going to have hundreds shaved off of it.
0: Uh, yeah. Little Samson, I, I was arguing with Ian, or not Ian, we were just having discussed him before the, the guidebook about, is this even a rare game? Yes. I do and think it's rare. I don't think it's... I don't think it is. I think it's just very uncommon. I see I see less of so many other... I see a hell of a lot less bases loaded fours than I see Little Samson's. I see
1: bases loaded four coming into the store two or three times a year. I've never, I've seen one Little Samson coming into the store. Little Samson is rare, from where I. Or people it,
0: just holding on to it more than a base. Loaded Four is a sports game. People, I go, you know, I go to conventions. I see a lot more Little Samsons for sale than, of base course, you four. see them in conventions because people want to show them off at conventions. But you would, but Base Loaded Four is a hard to find game. You should be showing off a game like that or a kid clown. Kid clown's harder to find than Little Samson to me. People want to show off what they
1: have that they think is expensive and impressive. I think Little Samson counts as rare. Not the rarest.
0: Right. Not by any means. Okay, I would, I would argue at any point in time in the past 10 years, you go on eBay and search for Base Loaded 4 or a Kid Clown versus Little Samson, there's going to be a hell of a lot less than those. I definitely I don't think help.
1: it's uncommon. I would
0: call it rare. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm I'm, not arguing. I'm not
1: saying it's the rarest v- game very in Very
0: uncommon. Not uncommon. It's, no. as, it's as uncommon as Chiller is. You don't
1: see it. You know what I mean? It's rarer than that. I'm gonna say firmly, it's rare, but it's not the rarest game on the system, and I certainly do think it's gonna be one of the games that loses some. It's going to be a game that drops in price the most. It's,
0: it'll, what do you think it'll drop to? Like where Jetsons is? Like it'll be like a couple hundred or whatever. What's, uh, what's Jetsons I'm, going to a age I'm just gonna. Know. I'm just gonna say
1: it's gonna drop to four fifty.
0: So like half, half stuff like that, in Dinosaur People might just have the value, sure, over time. Um, I, when you look at per- i think it'll
1: lose more value than dinosaur peak i think it's more common than dinosaur peak uh
0: probably i'll say that probably um in terms of uh like heavy hitters um, i would think uh, i mean i can go back to steam events Steam events is one of those games that it's really gonna just hinge upon how many completionist collectors are going to be around 10 and 20 years from now. There's still going to be people that need that game. Games like that they need to complete their set. The games that are, are, are trash and you wipe your ass with, but you need them to complete the set. Are, are, are those the games that all of a sudden people are going to be like, I don't need a set anymore. So you have to then sell the game you spent $10,000 on and try to find someone else to complete their set 10 years from now. And I don't think they're going to be out there at that point. There, there, there might be a couple, but I think at that point people are going to be, either they found it or they moved on. You know how patient are these people? that are going to wait fifteen, twenty years to, to pay. You know to get a discount rate on a game like that. Besides me, of course. Like if I didn't have Steam events ten years from now, and I oh it's only a thousand dollars now. Yeah, I'll buy it, but I'm not paying oh two thousand dollars. off? I'm going to pay eight grand. No, I don't care. Still, sure. like, like I'm still priced out. So at what point do those games re-enter the market, and where did they stop at? And that's at the Steam That's the best example because that game is trash. You know, but even a game like uh, Hero Tomor or, or uh, Trograph's probably a bad example, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, like a Musha, things like that. Like, Will those games come down in price because the, the, uh, the allure of having the complete Genesis set wears off? You know?
1: I think there's a chance for certain games like Musha, though. And maybe, like I said, that one's an anomaly. I think certain games that have always had a hardcore following, say um, Shooters, for instance. I mean, all the way back to the late 80s to now. I think I think popular genre games have the best chance at keeping value. Over
0: time, um, when like, you say popular was they didn't make a million, but they were popular that people know about.
1: Them. I mean, like no, like a popular genre, a popular games genre. in a popular okay. genre.
0: Say like shooters. Okay. Uh,
1: shooter collectors are, are crazy. Shooter collect. Uh, shooters what are is- not. Shooters are not linked to a. Um, shooters are not linked to a certain system. So say if you like shooters, you're not collecting shooters for a certain system. You're collecting shooters. In general so say something like a radiant silver gun has been 200 dollars for like 14 years and almost never you know anything else um you know sapphire has been 500 dollars for almost forever um you know things like that because they're part of a popular subgenre that people are very hardcore about i think those games have a chance yes. to retain their value for longer because they're not they're not necessarily so hard tied to, um, you know, the fickle interests of entire system collectors. Do you get what I'm saying? So maybe
0: a better example would be something like Crusader of Senti, where it's a game that, you know, it's 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 hard to find. Once you've got a much more Genesis uh, completionist out there, the game starts soaring in value. But that may not be a game people want to go back and play on its surface versus like a Musha. Is that what you're kind of saying?
1: Yes, I'm saying like if a game is good and someone really enjoys a genre, those games are likely to keep their value for longer because they appeal to people outside of a system collector. Sure. As opposed to someone who's just collecting for a system and eventually they're going to get tired of that. So it's not something they need to complete a set, it's something they want because they like a genre. So those are the games that are going to keep their value. Where Yes, you're right, something like a Stadium Events or a Little Samson which is still a good game. It's a good game, but yeah, that's something that's gonna fall to the wayside. I
0: I would say that um any of the <laughs> any of the non marquee titles that are rare that people that, that aren't brought up in any sort of natural or casual conversation when it comes to video games. Swordmaster. Which is a decent game. But those are the games that will plummet in value as we get older and older. And then it could be surprisingly that when you think about it, oh, Super Mario Brothers 3, uh, 50 years from now, that might have some sort of value still because that'll be a game people still fondly remember mm-hmm. and Nintendo will still be around. I think that'll be the shift. And I think most people agree with that sort of standpoint that that is going to be the more likely scenario. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Because uh, where, where rarity will matter. And it has happen with comics. There's a hell of a lot of comics that are rare from the 40s and 50s that are a lot harder to find than superhero comics or pop but it doesn't matter people don't want them you know people will
1: misinterpret rarity and popularity I mean people will still pay a decent amount of money for a really nice copy of the Beatles white album and it's not like there weren't any copies of the Beatles white album sure um whereas you know you know significantly less printed albums of good music from that era will go for five dollars in a bin
0: you know what's going to plummet in price those panesian games up there will plummet no one's going to give a shit about those panesian games uh 20 years from now that's that'll be a bad decision for me as the last games i got (laughs) uh, hopefully that caltron six and one uh the myriad six and one it's an oddity that was not at the nes museum I, I teased uh, John Hancock about, about, about that, John Hancock. <laughs> there <are> weren't
1: any <120 laughs> unlicensed ones.
0: No, they were. there were. Unlicensed were on one shelf laid out by a publisher. It was cool. You had all the color oh, games in oh, a row. Oh, okay. I thought you I know. thought
1: they were only claiming a complete license. So.
0: No, they had everything. Oh, okay. They had everything there. Didn't have the mirror yet. That's just a Coltron variant. So that's the stuff where it's like weirdly rare, but no one gives a shit about it, sure. which is like anything, though. There's there's baseball cards a hell of a lot rarer than Onus Wadden, your baseball card. Oh, yeah. But he's a Hall of Famer. There's a story behind it. That's why it goes for millions of dollars. The same sort of deal happens here. So anyway, my, I go back to the story about the piano rolls. My father, grandfather had a lot of piano rolls that are probably really, really hard to find, but no one gives a shit about them, you know, 80 years later, you know. So, all right, cool. Is that, is that it for the question there?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The CU Podcast is proud to be working with NordVPN. It's what I use to keep myself safe online, and you can too. If you care about your privacy and the security of your information... NordVPN is giving you all 66% off a two-year plan when you go to nordvpn.com slash podcast or use code podcast at checkout. Ian, do you know what a VPN is?
1: Not really, no. It's a virtual Tell private me, network. Please.
0: That's right. And it protects you, helps you. Uh,
1: you can maybe check out the Netflix and other countries. Shh, don't just say that. But nope. if
0: you're doing anything online, your information and browsing habits are out there for anyone to get a hold of. When you use NordVPN, you have access to over 4,000 super-speedy servers in 62 countries, and those connections secure your information using military-grade encryption. That means your information, what you do online, is nearly impossible to track. Uh, I use the app uh, for my phone. It's also the computer. uh, Laptop, when you're getting free Wi-Fi somewhere, like at a convention, it's a little bit safer, a little peace of mind. Uh, It's also the top VPN choice from PCMag.com. So there's other potential benefits like, you know, hopping on servers around the world. See if you can stream, like Ian mentioned, other other countries right there. They, they don't know where you are, but I want to get the BBC stream stuff on a, sites. Yeah. Again, get that special offer, 66% off a new plan for two years. Go to NordVPN.com slash CU Podcast. Q&A time now on this strange CU Podcast. Yeah, it's a subdued CU Podcast, I'd say. Yeah, we're, both, energy. we're both tired. <laughs> um, <clears throat> this is from at Keeping Up Gaming. Marching into that top 5 of CU podcast uh, q and yeah. Uh do you think that young people who become famous overnight thanks to social media are setting a bad example? What advice would you give them? That's a broad question. I mean not all of them are, but yes, uh
1: some of them absolutely. Uh I mean all you have to do is look at someone like uh, Logan Paul and see that they uh set horrible fucking examples. For, for people. Well just for behaving. Yeah, you know. just for just for behaving. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and their behavior. Um in terms of maybe like inadvertent bad examples, um, you know, maybe setting a bad example without knowing it, sure, I mean, not everyone can achieve that sort of immediate overnight success. Doesn't mean that someone shouldn't try to do what they want to do if they see other young people achieving that sort of success overnight. But um I mean I don't know this just kind of goes back to uh, something that I've always said, and I think a lot of people say everyone would do well to do some time in a service industry. Everyone would do well to have some do some time uh behind a counter waiting tables, bartending, prepping food, cooking, doing something where you have to be in the face of people and dealing with humans and realizing that everyone's human. It's a humbling experience. It's a humanizing experience. Um, That's what I would say. If you get famous overnight and you get to the point where maybe you don't have to step out and do a job in the world
0: like that, maybe... An honest, we'll just say an honest, hard living.
1: Yeah, an honest, hard... I mean, it's not to say that this isn't jobs, but I'm just saying, like, go do some manual service industry labor go do it um you know and realize that you are maybe lucky enough to be able to walk away from that in six months and you don't have to do that for a living but
0: just try it go out there and do it and see what it's like uh, i I think that's what's happening is that these kids are getting famous when they're like 17 18 19 they get to bypass that they bypass the awful summer jobs we all have I had bad, I had bad blistering jobs working in the supermarket and at Suncoast, which is probably worse than the supermarket. You're like to do those jobs gives you an appreciation for what goes into, uh, yeah, like you said, it, it, you interface with people. You have to develop customer service. You have to be, you have to be nice to people you don't want to be nice to. Like yeah. you have to. That's your job. You got, you, you know, you got, I was getting paid five fifteen an hour and, and getting spit upon, sure. but that's how you learn how to act too. It's yeah like, it's a it's a discipline. It's a really a discipline is what it sure. develops.
1: I don't I, I don't want them to like get out. I am not saying go do it cuz I want you to be, you know, broken down or no. you know, something like that, but like you people need that social interaction. It's and not to get off into a weird tangent, but it's kind of the reason why I'm like I, I don't care for homeschooling. You need it's part of that growing up. You need that social you need whether it sure you can say there's other ways to get get it and I'm not going to get into it that way, but my my main basic point is that you need these certain? You need these certain social interactions to help yourself grow and learn.
0: So you're thinking that, besides being like on a on, on you know a basketball team or or playing an instrument, you're saying this is part of that training where you should be schooling, having friends. You should work work some sort of a uh, entry level job to learn how to do this stuff.
1: Yeah, like I didn't do any like actually I didn't join a sports team or anything like that. But I did have a job when I was in high school. I mm-hmm. did play in bands and stuff like that. Like you got and and I think the job thing is just really important. I, I think it's very important to be able to get be able to get out there and learn how to work with
0: other people. So then it, does it become no bad then to set this unrealistic expectation with children, and teenagers, were like. Oh my God! YouTube is a claim to fame, and here we go. And you know that I don't have to yes. work something. You know that that could be a, a part of it too. Where not that kids are avoiding. It. I mean, at the end of the day, it's up to the parents. The parents can say this summer you're getting a job. That's what my dad told me. He said, this summer you're going to get a job. Sure. When I was like uh, between junior and senior year of high school, you're going to get a job this year. I'm like okay. And I went, you know, I went to the supermarket, you know, five ten minutes away. I borrowed my mom's car. To go from work or they picked me up i did my own cartels in college um and i and i worked there i worked like you know you know 30 hours a week like yeah. that, that weird between, almost almost full-time when you're young you don't realize how much you're working you know what i mean you don't yeah, realize yeah. it sometimes 35 hours i was working they, they, they got right to the point where it was legal right in New you're like, oh shit yeah, yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm working an eight hour saturday and friday shift like i worked at least i worked at least one or two days at a friday saturday sunday every weekend that summer mm-hmm And you not that you appreciate it. To me, it was a whole whole new learning experience. This is a new world for me. Like you're not used to. It's a new set of people you're around. The people your coworkers and most of them are your same age, except for that weird guy who probably should have gotten out of it by now. That ends up getting fired for stealing something. His name's Lon. He's 38 years old. He brings you brownies every Sunday, and you're pretty sure they're full of poison. But everyone yes, I actually
1: I mean this is a real person I'm talking
0: about. uh But you learn there's different types of people, and then you learn how to talk to someone, and you're too scared to ask out the girl that uses the orange spray tan, but she's cute. You know, you're, you're, you go through these things. And you all get high in the cooler. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> all right. So, anyways. You know, but, but yes. So, but, but setting a bad example, at the end of the day, though, if I have a child, well, there's like a 10% chance of that happening in the future, but if I have a child... And I know they're on social media looking at stuff. I will have to talk. To, uh, it's up to the parents at the, end of the day to, to know what the, what the kids are looking at. Right. Who are you watching? You're watching Logan Paul. Oh, let me look at this. You are not watching that again. And uh, and you can cry about it, but 20 years from now, you're going to thank me. Yeah. letting You watch that trash. And yeah. that's what I would say. There's lo- there's things on computers and devices you can lock down sites and you can do all that. Parents, be fucking parents. This isn't me yelling class class, but I, I fear for sometimes you know. With, with kids getting away with everything. It's okay to say no to a child. That's past parenting advice. You can say no. They're not your friends. They're your kids. Sorry. Sorry. I don't... Okay, whatever. Anyway. My dad was not my friend. <laughs> For sure, anyway. All right. Um, now it's Ian's up. Doing the question time. This
1: is coming from Goo tang this. I love, his, I love his cute little ghost and pumpkin... Uh, ghost pumpkin. Um, ...emojis. <laughs> how will people in the future shop for two days physical modern games with how much data that needs to be downloaded updated and stored on hard drives will two days unsold resold games be unplayable by others in the future
0: i did some thinking for this question um and we're talking about console games obviously yeah. because computers it doesn't matter you know physical computer games hasn't really been a real thing if you want to make the real argument for like almost twenty years almost. Yeah. Fifteen years. You would say. say, I'd say two thousand was really when it started to veer in. When you're really buying serial codes and keys by that point. You buy the CD ROM, but like you can also download from the website in the early two thousand and just get a key to do it. That's what I did with Unreal Tour in two thousand four. When I bought it again, I went online and bought a bought a key code and I you know I, I could install the game from the website. You know what I mean? Like that so okay. We're looking at we're talking about games where even even games like Breath of the Wild where you know in the future you're going to have to you're going to install it and it's going to say it needs an update or something to actually run it. There's going to have to be services put in place uh by some outside company, some Steam-like companies that have to pop up or any Steam takes care of it, or something that's console based in order to make this happen. The best way I could probably think about it is getting the rights from these companies for say, I don't know, middle gear solid or the last middle gear solid that came out, getting the rights from Konami for the game, but also all the mm-hmm. DLC and download updates you need up to that point in time, storing it somewhere and then getting that back to you. And it may not, and it may be on a PC at that point. Like, 10 years from now, there, there may be that, you know, that PS5 emulator that gets licensed to do it because maybe Sony won't want to deal with it or, 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 or they don't want to... It's going to be weird. It also, it also depends, well, obviously, if Sony's still around reselling the same games on their future stores. But if not, you're going to get into a conundrum where someone else is going to have to, have to su- supply that online future store to make it a, basically make it a digital download in the future. That's right. basically what you're going to be looking at in the future.
1: Yeah, there's there's really no good... Way to do this. Um, I mean, you can go I, I, at some point, you know, a lot of those physical games, I mean, especially the ones that were, you know, launched in bad shape, that's going to be what you're playing. Um, you know, if you're collecting purely physical. And you're going to be doing it, hopefully, without a, uh, you know, without an internet connection. Um, and I, it's going to be interesting because I feel like there will be books written and articles written about these games again when that time comes, whenever it is. That are going to have to reevaluate things as they were the moment they came out, without things like day one patches and things like that. There are going to be versions of games that we maybe never even saw when it sure. comes to that point. You know, games that you know we're not able to get. You know that that suddenly we can't yeah. see these day one patches. Yeah, version
0: one of Breath of the Wild will never be played again, potentially by certain people. It'll be like whatever version one point seven is, or what right. have you.
1: So I I really don't know. Um, it's one of the main reasons I don't worry so much. Like I love to collect physical for the Switch, but it's honestly one of the reasons I don't worry so much about collecting physical on uh, on the PS4. You know, people are like, well, if it's digital, it could all go away with a Switch, and I'm like, yes, and. I don't know how playable a lot of these, you know, physical copies are going to be. You know, I mean, you know, a lot of them require additional downloads. It's just, it's not, point blank, it's not an ideal time for video games in terms of physical or digital at the moment, I don't think. And I really don't know what to say. I don't have a good, a good answer. I think, at I think best case scenario, honestly all this shit gets cracked in 10 years time oh, yeah. and everyone just has everything on huge hard drives and that's it the end and you buy the physical stuff if you want to buy the physical stuff
0: so you find some place unfortunately you're gonna have to pirate it somewhere online get it onto your hard drive that you connect to your ps5 yep and then play it, or thumb probably thumb probably thumb drives thumb drives i got like a 128 gate thumb drive laying around over there that's everything's just to be on thumb drives yeah and and that'll be the way you play games yeah. It'll be the scums back selling the week, selling you know PS Five games ten years from now on thumb drive. It'll probably be that. Yeah, but Something I mean, like that. at that
1: at that point, it may be the only fucking way yeah I mean so you'd
0: understand that at least yeah i I' I'd a,
1: understand a little bit better you know when a game that's you know almost unplayable out of the box like say uh I love it it's my favorite fallout of the modern ones, but fallout New Vegas was just an absolutely broken fucking mess out of the gate and needed a lot of patches to really fix it up mm-hmm. you know I mean if you want to, in the future if if you're playing a cold copy of that game I, you know you're gonna need stuff like the patches and the updates, sure, so I don't know.
0: All right. Um, nothing much. To add to that. So we'll see if a service pops up. Maybe, maybe we'll shark tank that, Ian. We'll shark tank that, that good old games uh, version two thousand twenty eight. You know where? <laughs> I mean, that's what it's going to be. Yeah, no, right? it, it is. It it's going to have to be in yeah. some capacity. But I, I honestly think this will all shift to the computer because that's where that's, we'll be able to do. No, I mean that. It's, yes, uh, very
1: much. Yeah. Eventually, you're going to have to treat your consoles like a computer, anyways, or just dump it all into. A... Yeah, they'll they'll, they'll they'll
0: give you. You'll, you'll download again. Metal Gear Solid Five. whatever. They'll find
1: a way for you to hook your PS or your PS4 up to a computer to apply the patches at which case you're there's,
0: there's people much smarter than us doing this shit yes you know what I mean? I'm not that smart someone else is handling it I mean, there's going to be a new freaking uh, pinball fucking effects 2000 fucking thing You know, whatever. I never thought I'd see that I know, I, no I didn't I didn't so there you go nearly <laughs> wet my pants alright and then last question from at Juice Box. Explain the difference between retro video game preservation and every retro video game being available to download for free. I think some people don't know there is a difference. Okay. I
1: this is I'm I'm gonna keep it pretty simple here without getting into a ton of, of nuance.
0: Please um, have nuance, so we got a full topic.
1: Well I mean it's it is a fair I mean it's it's enough. I, I just I know I can talk myself into a hole here. Part of video game preservation is having everything available out there so that it can be researched, played, explored, looked at. That's important. You need to have an archive of everything. You need to be able to access it. And yes, that can be phrased as such as being able to play all video games for free. Sure. I mean, that's one way of wording it. Sure. Absolutely. What it makes video game preservation different than just looking at it is playing video games is true video game preservation is making sure that everything is there warts, bugs, errors problems and all as well as documentation um, you know everything that goes around it so for instance uh, a classic example of video game preservation is uh, Oregon Trail and um, it's one of those games that is, you know, as far as I know, still, as of a year or two ago, has never really truly been properly preserved. The, the version that's always around, the Apple II version that's always around, um, always has the gravestone that you can find that says, here lies, I think it's Dave, pepperoni and cheesy. It's the copy that was ripped. It's the copy that's been floating around. But it had a save on there. It had a save with that gravestone on okay. there. It's not original. It's not as it was intended. It's not the genuine article. It's not clean. It's not clear. Mm-hmm. So video game preservation at the, 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 you know, the end of the day is a true preserving of the genuine article um, as it was. No bugs, no modifications, nothing like that. Sure. Um, I believe it was when Socks the Cat came out. You know, uh, I think it was Socks the Cat. It was dumped, but you know there was concern because they altered it. They altered the, they altered a bug and altered an intro, mm-hmm. and they were holding on to the original ROM, which so I don't think they ever released the original one don't know I've looked into that in a while but yeah don't know and I'm not going to get into like a huge thing on that but but that that, was alarming to me that's alarming and that would be an instance of okay the game's out there but for historical accurate preservationist purposes that game is not at least publicly preserved it's like having a you know a reproduction of a painting out there but not the actual painting it's like having a colorized old film instead of the black and white precisely yeah so that, that that's that the that, you know that, to me that is kind of where you really get into the 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 the, the big differences between preserv- uh, preserving and just playing. When you're preserving some of that stuff is actually not going to be playable. But video game preservation is also it's not just ROMs, it's not just playing the games, it's also the documentation, the boxes. Um when I we get you. to when we the yeah, when we get to things like um uh we talked about it uh, before once on um, when, when it was uh, when they put the the versions of the uh, the emulated versions of the handheld games on there. You know, a lot a large part of it is the um, the casing, the packaging, the because because yes. that was a big part of how the game played and made mm-hmm. you feel. There's a lot of aspects to preservation that go beyond just the game itself on a
0: screen. Sure, I, I think there's uh, with 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 video gamers. There's always a sense of entitlement that I have not seen to that extent with other forms of entertainment. Where, sure. Where, because when it comes to movies, I've never seen someone say, "I want all the movies available for free." Right. I've never seen someone say, "I want every single piece of music available for free." I've never seen. No. It. And maybe because it's, it's older generations. That weren't used to that. They they used to originally with movies. You, can, you had to go to your your theater in a the matinee to watch them. You couldn't even watch them on TV, you know, at first until until they started coming. I think in the '60s, you know. They, so with with video gamers, it's always been, and this is because emulation is such a great thing, and it's so easily it's you can so easily download. And most of these games are up until you know the early '2000s. All these games are are easily downloadable. They're small. I mean, it was miraculous when I found out all the, the arcade ROMs were minuscule and tiny yeah. for the most part. It's like, what? It's like most of these, even like these beat em up games, they're not, they're not, they're small. There's a small amount of information. So the ease of it, I think, gave, gave gamers a, a sense of entitlement. Just because it was easy and free, it should always be for everything forever. And so when Nintendo. Went after Love ROMs, who went over the line with offering in browsing emulation. I'm sorry they did. I'm not an, an, uh, on Nintendo's team, but Nintendo allowed a lot of those ROM sites to exist forever and ever and ever. And they could have tried to go after them anytime. They didn't. Uh, it went over the line. So then when Cool ROM said, oh, we're going to get rid of our stuff, and also um, Emu, Emu, Emu Paradise, people were like, well, well, Nintendo's doing this, and now you, this is a bad day for for game preservation. It's like, no, it's not a bad day for game preservation. It's a bad day to, be, to have these games easily accessible to play immediately. All right, the games are still preserved. The games are all preserved. Yes. The ROMs are all preserved even somewhere. They're technically all preserved on the cartridges. Yeah. If you want to get, if you want to get super technical, every game is preserved as long as you have a physical version of it somewhere that you can pull the ROM from. If you want to get super technical... Well
1: yeah. yeah, but I mean that that's for cartridges. I mean sure. with 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 floppy disks and things like that, that's where actually having a digital archive of it is
0: Yeah. But, important. But, but the argument yes. with those
1: two sites were about uh, well, these sure.
0: NES games and yes. Super Nintendo and N sixty four. Yes, fair. That's enough. the
1: argument. Because but, any real archivist will tell you an actual digital copy is not preservation you need the physical
0: copy yeah so that's why i thought I'll, 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 it was a bunch of crocodile tears or not what's the proper term i think people were, were a little bit going over the top with that thing a little bit of histrionics of history a little bit of histrionics including some people that i know and love were like this is bad it makes it less easily accessible you can't get at it if you these roms are out there in so many people's hard drives so many torrents you can get at these i'll like, say remember torrents you don't have to go off on the street and like say hey you got that you got that atari uh, rom set available like this shit is taken care of for video games i would argue that these video games are are more and more getting even their older ones are better documented than all the early films we don't there's so many lost forever that we don't know about you know like and and people have sort of accepted that so where video games again i think that it's a different crowd versus uh movies or T V shows or especially music where no one's like I have to get at it.
1: I, I will make two two points to that. Um one, I think I think the reason why maybe the video game community gets a little jumpy is because we've talked about in the past, I think the video game community has realized we're at this point where maybe more so than other other forms of media we can get in earlier than most and hopefully stop ourselves from losing things. Sure. Before other, you know, types of media have, you know, before like, okay, we're aware now and we can do this, you know, and our history doesn't go that far back. Sure. So maybe they're a little jumpy about that. Okay. You don't need to be that jumpy, but I, I, I can understand that to a degree Two, the only thing I would say to you about the movies and the music thing and, people who play games wanting them for free i'm not saying that they should feel like they should have them all for free but there have been many avenues made by the people who hold the rights for movies and music to purchase those there are almost no avenues to legally purchase roms and games for so many of these companies there's tons of them in
0: the the pantheon of entertainment if it's popular it gets re-released right So Elvis uh, records and and Beatles have been re-released and be available forever. The most popular video games mostly have been re-released in some form. Mostly the, the marquee ones have been. It's um, still
1: vastly different between music, movies, and games, though.
0: Sure, but there's still... I mean, there's Time. there's But there's still movies that were never redone after they put on a VHS. Like, they're still, they're still never put on a DVD or Blu-ray. I'm not saying it's proper, oh, sure. right? But those movies are still preserved. Yes. You just can't easily get at oh,
1: them. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying I think the reason... i am All I'm saying is that I think the reason why... Um, you know, people who want to preserve games automatically assume free is because it's just been that way for so long because for so long there has no been no other way to access these games sure. besides free, even if you go
0: looking for a way to I, pay for them. And I would argue technically that's not the the form of it, though. You know what I mean? Like it's not the full form of it. It's not just the digital information. No, it. and I agree you know with that. I mean? But I, I think okay. that's why they
1: think free, because for so long they've had to default to free. Whereas with music... I've never really had the default to free if I don't want to, even if I'm looking for obscure shit right now, I can think of almost any of the most obscure shit I listen to. and And right now
0: probably find it for purchase online everything's on YouTube now. Like, YouTube's become like uh, what Napster couldn't, you couldn't envision with Napster where you don't have to even download the music anymore. I can type in any song and it'll be on YouTube. And and most of the time, the artist gets a cut of that. Yeah. Like, so that's the good news. Like It's interesting how that's happened. It's become like a jukebox system. But you're right, there's no jukebox system for video games at this point in time. No. Where maybe every time you play the game, the publisher gets a, a piece of it through an advertisement. Hey, maybe, maybe that's a, an avenue in the future. I'd be open to that, right? For a pre roll before the, you play the game for 30
1: seconds. In general, I pirate until I can pay. That's what I do.
0: Yeah. Fair, fair enough, Ian. People pirate to see your podcast all the time. We don't get a cut, right? No. All right. Well, is there anything else going on to see you podcast? Anything else going on? Uh, Ian, Ian's going to do a hangout this weekend. Sunday. Sunday,
1: Sunday, Sunday. Sunday the 28th, 10 a.m. Um,
0: PST. Um, I, I, I think I'm done with, with uh, conventions for the year, thankfully. Thank goodness. I think so. Um, uh, we'll have the Mom Man t-shirt up for sale sometime, maybe in, in maybe soon. Maybe I'll get that out. I think it's it's a fun one. Um, we'll yeah, keep... I'd say do it.
1: That seemed like people really enjoyed it at Portland. I bet you we can sell them like hot griddle flapjacks.
0: Well, what was the thing that the last podcast? Someone said you can sell them like it was selling like cheesecake. Was it selling like cheesecake? I love cheesecake, man. man. You better sell that cheese. It'll go bad in a week. You better get rid of cheese mm, cheesecake. Cheesecake. Um, check out a certain super Nintendo guidebook pre-order at ultimate dot It makes a great holiday gift for well for next year's holiday. It'll we'll be out in the just, middle of next year. It'll be sure. as dense as fruitcake. It'll it'll be it'll be a, I think a bigger book than the NES book. A real big boy. Maybe Ian does that Fire Pro article. Big, we about big boy. Chance to impart the fire pro knowledge to the world. There, fighting spirit in one thousand words or less. So okay, that.
1: one thousand words or less, <laughs> or twelve hundred. We'll see.
0: Anyway, so anyway, uh, that's all's that's going on, and uh, that's Ian Ferguson. That's Pat country We will see you in two weeks. Two and two. Two and two. Oh, check out the new Flea Market Manis, which is doing gangbusters. Because for some reason, no one cares about Pathetic Punk, but Flea Market Manis never dies. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>